What's happened to Mike Schmidt, 40 year old boy podcast? Uh, uh, how was your week? <laughs> How's your week been? Um, I, I'm going to tell you right off. I don't know what this show is going to be this week. I'm going to do my best because uh, honestly, I'm terrified I'm going to do it wrong, uh, which is not uh, a good way to function when you're trying to do something creative. But uh, it doesn't even need to be creative this week. It just needs to be me um, talking and, and laying down uh, some tracks <laughs> uh, and talking about what's in my head and in my heart and how I feel. And, and, and I won't lie to you. It seems silly to even uh, be like this and not really silly, but silly. And, and as I talk more, maybe you'll understand. I'll explain it. Um, Yes, it's Friday, by the way, the show's late, uh, because I wanted to do, I thought about doing this show one way, and then I had a, a brilliant idea about doing it a different way, and then uh, that idea has consumed me, and now I look like that fucking meme where the guy's got the string and, and the post-it notes and all that shit on the wall, and I'm just trying to figure out how to best build a collage that, uh, that is necessary. That, that's the only word I can, I can think of, is that it's necessary. Uh, so, um, and it, uh, this makes it about me and I, I don't want to, and there's different approaches to this too, where it could be a, a celebration of sorts or, and it could, and it will be, um, it, it, it'll be part celebration, part eulogy, part, uh, tribute. I, I don't know. Uh, but it's it's going to be hard, harder for me than I thought, because uh, and and look, uh, uh, if you don't know, um, uh, a guitar player, much more than a guitar player, an icon uh, died this week. On Tuesday, uh, his name is Eddie Van Halen. And. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm laughing at myself because I didn't think it would be this hard, this fast. <clears throat> and that's what she said. Oh, look at this. Let's get back to jokes. Um, Tuesday, I was here at the house and uh, getting ready to jump in the shower. And I had my phone in my hand and uh, I had my drink in my hand. I had my phone in my hand. I had my toes in the sand. And uh, wow, did I get some news? Oh, yeah. Um. I, I I saw it first on uh, Twitter. I saw it from TMZ, which made me think, well, obviously this isn't true. This can't be true. Uh, you know, I, I checked that. It was on Facebook. Someone posted it on Facebook. It, it like, it, like I was on Facebook and it popped up at the top of the feed. So I was looking right when it was notified. And I said, well, that's, and I, I just out loud, I was like, oh, no. Um because let me tell you a little bit about Eddie Van Halen. He is, uh, uh, he's been sick for a while and I've known he's been sick and, and you've known, you know, if you followed along, you understood what was happening. I mean, he's had cancer. He had cancer, uh, years ago. He had tongue cancer. He had to have a third of his tongue removed. Um, 
he you know they people said it was from smoking he said he thought it was from metal and, and copper picks that he used to keep in his mouth and uh regardless of, of, of however it happened uh i remember back then being terrified because then he was way too young then he's he's you know looking at 42 i think when he first got it or 45 uh or 50 could have been yesterday i what, what the fuck do i know off the top of my head um but i just remember being scared because that's that's too early for anybody you know uh let alone someone like him so he uh he beat that though and he beat it in a, in a way where he's been functional and changed his life around and and we'll get to all that but uh but there's been stories and rumors that he's had you know he had this cancer and and it had come back in his throat and uh supposedly he had been going back and forth to Germany for treatments every other week which uh that seems like it might be prohibitive and or expensive when you think about it uh but you'll do anything if you have the means to stay alive and and rightfully so uh so he was doing that and uh regardless I, I i got the notice that he had died and i i looked it up and i i couldn't i i think i actually i made a a comment on this show a couple of weeks ago or, or months ago someone died i forget who it was and it might have been on this show or just to a friend and i said i i don't know what i'm going to do when eddie dies i don't i don't i don't have any idea what i'll do i don't know and I can tell you what I'll do. I'll I'll freeze. And I won't know how to do anything. I'll hide. I'll I'll I'll, I'll dive into his music and wrap myself up in it and and worry and hope. Uh So uh, I googled it and and it turned out that uh or not googled it but I I went to Twitter right away and put in his name and I saw the TMZ report and I uh and as we do in this in this most ridiculous of times because we all have a megaphone and we all have two thumbs we run to get our tribute out you know everyone everyone runs to shine a light on the fact that oh my god and they they gnash their teeth and they rend their garments and they wail and and that's a and and I I can't argue with people i can't tell them how to be i i i knew though that i didn't i didn't want to make anything about me and which is ironic because now this entire show is going to be about me and how i feel um maybe i maybe i knew that maybe i knew that i would be doing this uh i would fight to do it but i would be doing it and uh and so i didn't i didn't want to type platitudes or immediately be like, Oh, I saw them one time and Oh my God, they were great. I, and, and I, and look, if that was you and if, if it meant something to you to, to reach out and say your experiences, because that's what we all do. We have a voice now and we're able to lay it down right away. Instant grief. Um, but I, I knew I, I didn't, I couldn't do that. It was, it was, uh, it was more than that. And uh, I, I like immediately started to cry when when I read it, 
and I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I could believe he was sick. What I couldn't believe was the sledgehammer that hit me right in the chest. As if it was uh, someone extremely close to me. Uh, I, I had texts from people who wrote and said, you know, asked if I was okay, which seems indulgent and wrong. You know, I, I, I fight this every week with you guys about, do I have the right, do I have things I should say? Do people care about me or my voice? What, what do I do? I don't know why I've reached this pitch. I don't know why I've reached this pitch in my life, but I have. And so I, I didn't want to run to a keyboard and type that, uh, that, you know, what he meant to me and, and, and spill it out, but because also I'd still be typing now on Friday. Uh, but I had to, I had to say something because I know a lot of people associate him with me or know how much, uh, he means to me. So I just, I typed, uh, I went to my Facebook page and I just typed, Oh no. which seemed enough. Uh, it, it let, it let people know. I knew, uh, some people were, you know, why are you so vague in these, in this 2020 time, my buddy Brian, you know, and, uh, and I understand that I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't find, uh, vague booking interesting or fun. And I wasn't trying to be that, but also part of me, couldn't just type it like a town crier. I didn't want to be hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> a genius has died. I didn't. I didn't want to do that, and uh, I didn't want to make it about me. So I did the the first thing I thought of. Uh, and and because it was the first thing that came to my mind. Oh no. said everything I needed to say in the moment. Uh, and then I, I had to get a hold of myself because I, uh, man, I, I, I just, and look, I've told you stories before where I teared up or this and we know I'm a sap. Okay. I get it. But this, uh, this was different. And like I say, I, I don't understand why it hit me so hard so fast. Uh, but then, you know, if you think about it for any length of time, you realize that this is, this was someone who was incredibly important to me. You know, people wrote me, they'd reached out via text and they said, Hey man, I hope you're okay. Which was so nice and so considerate of people. And I wrote them back and I said, I'm, I'm actually not. I, I, I couldn't explain it. I don't know if it was if it's not having kids or or a family. 
or a regular grown-up life. Uh, all I know is I'm I'm a wreck. I was a wreck on Tuesday, and I'm I'm I have my moments <laughs> still. And I have dove I, I have dived into music, and I'll hear certain things, and 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 they just set me off, and I'll sit and and. And I marinate in the sadness. Like I said, this could be part tribute, part whatever the fuck you want to call it. But right now, I am I am just tremendously sad. And it seems indulgent to be this sad about something like this during times like these. People have problems all over the world. People are, are uh, to sound like a total cliche, there are people hungry all over the world. There are people who are homeless and people who are vulnerable and are finding themselves in situations they never thought they would be in. And they're trying to deal with them the best they can. And so it seems almost uh, off-putting for someone like me to come to you and tell you how sad I am over the loss of what some people would just call a rock star. Uh, but but it's not it's not a rock star who died. He he was he was a rock star without being a rock star. He was uh, a genius and, and, and I loved him. He's been part of my life since seventh grade. You know, I've said that before. I've said, I've said uh, <laughs> the one person you're going to be with for your entire life is you. So you need to make sure that you're good with who that person is because when it's dark and quiet, that's who you're going to be with. Well, in those moments when the person I spend my entire life with wasn't enough, more often than not, I turned to Eddie. And he helped me make, make me more in the minute. Uh, he helped make me more in the moment than I was. And he reminded me that there was joy in my life, always waiting at the push of a button or the click of a mouse. It seems odd to grieve for people that you don't really know. But then you sit and you think, and, and I'm sure you can do this too. How many, how many people out there who are important to you that you, you just don't talk to, you don't see? How many people have been important to you in the past that you haven't thought of in so long? There are people that are important to you that are just part of your everyday life and they don't even know you exist and that's okay. That's fine. But they've given you a reason. They've given you 
hope or they've given you happiness, they've given you shelter from whatever storm might be taking place in your life. And you know you can always turn to them. Friends are friends, but a friend might be busy with work or his kids or her job uh, needs her double time or she had to go to the gym or or they're just living their own lives or they're hiding in their own darkness. But for me, and he was there if I needed him anytime. There are people in your life who are important to you and when they're gone, it, it just, even though you may not know them really, they, it, bring back, it brings back all the life you've lived up to this moment. When, they, when they're gone, you sit and you think of all the life you spent with them and how important it was to you. And it seems one-sided. But if they're, if they're creating, if they're putting parts of themselves out into the world, it's never one-sided. They know. They know. Now, they may question themselves. They may wonder why what they do matters. And it's always better when you get the chance to tell them or something. But I, I, I think Eddie knew that what he was doing was important for people. And also, it was something he had to do. He was just, he was driven to do it. Uh, and he's been a constant in my life since I was 11 years old. 11 years old. Uh, I... I it's shocking to me how sad I am. I didn't think it would, it would, uh, I mean, I didn't think period. It's not like I sat around going, what's Eddie? What am I going to do with Eddie dies? Oh my God. When Eddie I, I, I didn't think about it. I didn't think about losing him. I never thought I, I that in that context, all because you know why? Because all he brought to me was joy. All he brought to me was happiness. All he brought to me was hope. Whenever I listened it was in the context of I, you know, Ed, David Lee Roth once said they are the official soundtrack of summer parties in parking lots, and they always would be. They made you happy with their music, and and that was Edward. I I I never got into any of the the bullshit Van Halen, Van Hagar. Uh, I I loved both because he was there. It was Eddie. I loved the Tyrone album, the fucking Van Halen 3, because it was Eddie. It was him I loved. It was him that that made it easy for me when it looked like it was going to be really fucking hard. I wanted him to go solo. I, I wanted him to just play. I, I wanted to see him. I would have gone anywhere to see him. I wanted him to do solo stuff like Vi or Satriani. And uh, and they would ask him. They'd, they'd say, why why don't you tour solo? Why don't you do it? And 
he would always say, nah, I'm in a band. I'm in a band. I, just, just the the respect I had for that statement alone. That he just he, that shows you he never viewed himself as as a rock star. He he gigged, you know what I mean. He didn't he didn't do these monument. I'm sure he played the fucking US Festival and sure he played on gigantic stages and huge stadiums, but he was just gigging. He was doing what he was born to do and what he loved to do, and and that's that's so. There's there there's just a lesson in that. I I saw I've seen interviews with him. I've read you know so many things with him. He one time they they asked him, and and look you know me. I respect anybody who does anything I can't do. I can't do instruments. I can't play music. I can't sing. And those are things that I would desperately do anything. If there was some sort of monkey's paw or some sort of uh, you know, the devil who showed up and like, ha ha, what will you trade? Uh, you know, barley corn, whatever the fuck I, I, I would want to play guitar and sing. That's, that's what I would want more than anything in the world. And, uh, and just to be able to express yourself in a way that made other people stare at you with wonderment would be the greatest gift you could ever have. And look, I, I, I have a different way of expressing myself and that, and that makes me happy and certainly I'm satisfied in it. But, but you know, athletes want to be actors. Actors want to be singers. Singers want to be athletes. It's, it's everyone has a, has something I mean, I'm sure out there, there's some fucking rock star who wanted to be a fireman, you know, but you, you find your calling and what you're best at and you make it work. Uh, and, and he just, he was a, like a, as I've said, a genius, but also just a different kind of man, a different kind of person. He, he, you know, they, they, he, he once said, uh, they asked him about how he learned what, how to do what he did. And he, he basically, he has, this is true genius. He has no answer. He doesn't, he doesn't have any, uh, magic trick where he went, Oh yeah, no, well I did this one day and then I studied and I read a book and I, he, he literally said, instead of reading a book, I wrote my own. And, and the power in that statement is it can't be denied. You know, he, he was a kid who came over from Holland to America. He fucking nine days on a boat with his family, his mom and his dad and, and, and they fucking played in the band on the way over his dad did. And then his dad, you know, his dad would go, Hey, why don't you guys uh, play the piano during the dinner break? And he and Alex would play piano. Um, and, and then they got to sit at the captain's table and have dinner. He tells that story. And they, they were classically trained in piano. Uh, but Eddie, he, he tells the story that he, it, this is a man, this is a man who was classically trained in piano who won competitions as a child. And he couldn't read music. 
he would he cheated by looking at fingers his instructor's fingers he would watch what was played and then he would just play it back i i don't know is that an autodidact i think that's what it's called he he would literally observe his teacher and watch him play and then just copy what he did and uh i again just i i it makes it's amazing to me that that he could that you could ever have that sort of gift inside of you and if you do there's nothing you can't do anything but that right he and alex they they loved music from the time they were kids cuz their father was a musician and they would they would march around their their small not even a house when they got here again they came from holland it was it was and and they lived in a in a house with i think three other families they shared a room and a bed alex and and his mom and dad and eddie all in the same bed when they were you know he's 8 9 10 years old and uh and they but they would listen to music and and they that was the thing is he said it had to be loud if you if you if you ever heard anything from eddie he's like it's got to be loud we like things loud uh and he said that he and alex would march around and bang pots and pans to fucking big band music like Sousa marches they would they were just music lived inside them all they had to do was take the, do what they could to let it out they had to let it out um he he just amazing he 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 said that he uh they asked him once you know like what is rock and roll and and which is again those are those silly questions that fucking guys ask when they're interviewing because they don't know what 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 do you say what do you say to a guy who can play like eddie van halen and doesn't know why you know he can he can tell you what he does but you're you're that's like telling a fucking chimp how to make lasagna i mean you're just gonna be dumbfounded going oh yeah oh of course i get that and and vice versa conversely when the genius tries to tell you why he does what he does that's that's just Jesus trying to tr- tell you how to join him in the middle of the ocean. Hey, just run out here. It, it it can't be done. Some things can't be explained. And certainly he worked really fucking hard at being who he was, but also it was innate. It was inside of him. It was it was something that he worked incredibly hard at, but also could do in his sleep. Does that make sense? The reason he worked incredibly hard at it was because he was so driven and it consumed him because he loved it. He loved music. He loved making music. They asked him what was rock and roll and he said, he said, it's a feeling put out at a high volume. I don't really try to do anything but something interesting and different than the last thing I did. I don't think I always succeed, but I try. He he made a career out of putting out feelings at high volume. And all he wanted to be was interesting and different. He, he, money comes, you know, obviously you're happy to make money and, and you're glad it goes well. And once you can get into the business side of it, I mean, he had concerns there. He thought record companies were thieves and he explains that sometimes, you know, he, he could go into that part of it too because, uh, even if you love something, if you become this good at it, it can become a business. And then that part can 
unfortunately stick its head into whatever you're trying to do for joy or, 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 uh, you know, it's, you're now long, you're no longer playing a guitar in a hallway trying to make college girls, uh, fuck you. You know what I mean? You're, you're in, you're in big business at that point. And yeah, that, that got to him, but he, he made music. He, he, he said, he said, I just play and play and get into the zone and things come. It's almost as if I can't really claim I've written anything. I'm serious because I don't really think about it. It lived inside him. And he would sit and he would play and it would come out and he would record it and then he would find it later and he would turn it into fucking more magic. And he was unassuming about it. You know, I, I've talked many times that if I, dude, if I could play, if I played one song, if I could play any riff, uh, just, just say I could play the riff from ain't talking about love. Uh, I would put down the guitar and be satisfied forever. I would be like, yeah, look at me. Look what I learned. Uh, meanwhile, he created 10 albums worth of unbelievable power and, and joy. And he, he claimed that he just had to, that's why he did it. He fucking had to. He fucking had to, and uh, and I'm glad he did. I needed him to. I needed him to do that. Uh, as as you've heard, <laughs> uh, I, I'm adding riffs, and and there might be some solos. Uh, I, I've I've compiled a, a ton of them. Uh, and and I I don't know. I didn't know what this was to be. Uh, I, I don't, I hope it sounds okay. I don't want it to be a weird, crazy quilt of me talking. And then all of a sudden, what the fuck is that? You know, I, I, I hope it doesn't come off like that, but I wanted to share with you some of my favorite, uh, riffs and solos. Uh, it, it was important to me, you know, the solos are all amazing. I mean, his solos that he does and, and, and there's a few I've picked out, uh, a few that I, that I really love. Uh, but the, uh, the riffs to me, that's extremely important because he, you know, as a lead player, certainly he was amazing. But the thing that was even more incredible about him was they just filled the fucking space. It's a, it's a three piece band. It's guitar, bass, and drums. And it still was a wall of sound that, that crushed your fucking chest. Even in the back of the arena, you could feel your hair blow back. They wanted to be fucking loud. And Eddie, you know, they didn't have a, another guitarist on stage with them. They didn't have another guy to fill the holes. Uh, they had Eddie, and he he played everything. And, and it never sounded spare. It never sounded thin. He had his his remarkable, unbelievable tone. That and look. By the way, I'm gonna, I'm going to use music terms here that I don't really understand. I won't lie. I'm not a musician. Um, I'm I'm speaking from uh, uh, an a semi-informed 
position because I've read a lot of things and I know some jargon and lingo. Uh, but please don't think I'm proclaiming myself some kind of guitar expert because I'm not. But, but I, you know, obviously I, I know what I like and, uh, I know some buzzwords that might work here, but his tone, that, that was one of the most, uh, perfect things about Van Halen was you knew always that it was Van Halen. It, it didn't, it didn't matter when you heard it, where you heard it. If you were hearing it for the first time ever, you knew because Alex's snare drum sound and, and his, his drum sound period, the cymbals, but also that, that snare dude and Eddie, it didn't matter what one strum and you went, Oh, that's Eddie. That's Eddie's guitar. And it was like that, whether he appeared on Letterman, whether he appeared on stage on Saturday Night Live, whether he was with his own band, whether he was on Brian May's fucking Starfleet project, it didn't matter. You heard it and you went, oh, that's Eddie. There's Eddie. And that's amazing. Think of all the people who play guitar. Think of all the styles of guitar. Think of everything you've ever loved by anyone who's ever played guitar. And, uh, and then think of Eddie Van Halen and the fact that the second the second you heard a note, you knew it was him. Crazy. Uh, probably that's what grabbed me as a kid. You know, he, uh, hearing him, the, uh, Van Halen was the first band that was mine that, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I loved Elvis and I loved Motown through my mom. You know, that's, that's the stuff she listened to. Uh, and then I found seventies AM radio when I was probably like seven, six, you know, that kind of thing. We played my mom's records and stuff. And then we'd play the radio in the car, or the radio in the house. Uh, and then, you know, once, once it got to be, I was 10, uh, nine, actually nine. Yeah. Nine because rock and roll over. Um, we found kiss, uh, kiss alive and kiss and, uh, and we would lip sync that. And we, I say we, because it was me and my brother, Lenny, we found, this is how we found, we found kiss and, and all right, we liked them and we liked Elvis and we did these things. And, uh, in 1979, we moved to Bolingbroke. We, we lived in Chicago and then we moved in when Romeoville, we were all about kiss. We went, we went as kiss on Halloween. We put on a fake kiss concert in the backyard with makeup and tri-chem sweatshirts, I mean, we, that's, that was our band. That was our, our, that's who we loved. But then we also started once, once we moved to Bolingbrook, as we were getting a little older, I was 10, I was 11 and, uh, the loop became, uh, uh, a radio station to listen to and they played rock music and you would listen and, and we started to hear bands like, you know, Ario Speedwagon and stuff. And that, that was being introduced to us, uh, Boston, you know, you'd hear those, those, uh, that, I call it Midwest rock, even though it's just generally rock, but, uh, it's those bands that to this day can still sell out a 3000 seat arena in, in, in the Midwest because they're the nostalgia runs deep. People love them so much, you know, and people love that style of music. Uh, so we, we moved to Bolingbrook and we would listen to FM radio and, uh, and I, I, you know what? My first identi- the first time I ever remember hearing about Van Halen was I was in BJ Ward, which was 
middle school. And there was a guy, a, a kid named Andy Chart. And he had the Van Halen logo drawn on his notebook. That was the first place I saw it. Uh, and I was, I was like, what's that? And he said, it's Van Halen, dumbass. You know, basically like I, cause I didn't know at this point we're looking at, it's gotta be 78. Okay. Uh, 79, you know, and I, and I'm, I'm like, oh, okay. And I, you know, and I, I'm like, oh, of course I knew that, huh? You know, and people would talk at lunch and I didn't want to sound stupid. So I'm like, yeah, they would be like, who's your favorite band? I'm like Van Halen. Like they were my favorite band before I heard them. <laughs> how crazy is that right they were my favorite band before i heard them and then we were out uh on my block and we went to there was this kid named dave sheehan and he was uh he was a, a high school kid but he hung out with the uh, us he, he he was kind of a mentor slash bad influence in my neighborhood and i went to his house and we were flipping through his albums and i saw van halen too and I didn't know, I mean, I didn't know anything about them. And like I said, other than the fucking logo, because I saw it on the, when I'm flipping, I see it on the cover of the album. And I know it's all, it's from all the notebooks I saw. And I go, oh yeah, Van Halen. And Dave's like, you like Van Halen? Like, oh yeah, I, I love him. Can I, can I borrow this album? And he said, sure. And uh, I, I took home Van Halen too and listened to it. And, uh, you know, played it from the beginning. And so the first thing I ever heard was, you're no good. And I was like, wait a minute, this is. <laughs> like I knew, I knew what it was because it was a fucking Linda Ronstadt song. And I'm like, wait a second. This is, this is, I know what this is. Uh, but it seems strange because I'm like, I don't, you know, this is what everybody's drawing on their, on their notebooks. And then, uh, the next song I heard was dance the night away. And I sat there and I mentioned that I had found 70s AM radio, so I loved pop music already, but I didn't know it at the time. I just knew that that's what I gravitated to because that was AM radio, and, and three-minute pop songs has been the foundation of the music that I love since. And I, I have to say that Dance the Night Away went a really long way toward immediately, because it's not, you know what? It sounds like 70s AM radio, but done through the eyes of a genius dance the night away is just hook it's just the hook is so and the hooks right away the hooks right away and you're grabbed and pulled in and and it's just perfect sat transfixed by the rest of the album the next song is somebody get me a doctor which i uh later on uh <laughs> i again i listened to the album and there was stuff going on that i had never heard before i didn't i didn't know what was happening but i loved it i his guitar just the sound drew me in and and grabbed me and wouldn't let me go and and to this day van halen too because it was the first one i heard it it means it means, you know what, it means more to me than Van Halen 1, I won't lie. I, I just, uh, and I sat one time, this is funny, I'll tell you this, I mean, and I've told this story, but I I had a friend named Rich Balsitas, uh, have a friend named Rich Balsitas, 
he reached out to me this week. Um, and, and he, uh, he loved Van Halen. He was a musician. He was a bass player. And, uh, and so we, we would listen to Van Halen records and, and sit there and listen to stuff and go, what was that? What was that? Or how did he do that? Or what's going on? And, and Rich would have a guitar, you know, in his room and we'd try to figure out what to do. And I've told this story. We listened to somebody get me a doctor and there's a part in the solo the solo is just and and dude, there's hooks in his solos. There's a part in the in the somebody get me a doctor solo that goes I I can't even explain it. I'm not doing it right. Uh you know, it's not just flash. He had he was just fucking great. He was so great. And you know, because so many guys can play fast. So many guys, I, you know, I told, I've talked about that guy, Michael Badio, uh, who's Michelangelo. He plays a double necked guitar with uh, ambidextrous. And, uh, you know, there are dudes who shred. Certainly there's guys who shred all over the place. There's fucking Ingve and, and all those dudes, but Eddie, Eddie knew hooks and he knew music. And, and I think that came from, you know, playing with his father and playing Oompa music and, and understanding what you needed to do. I mean, he, he played cover tunes, you know, when they played Gazari's, uh, they were almost a house band essentially, and they they had to know hundreds of songs. You know, people didn't just want to go there and listen to Van Halen songs. So he would literally they'd be playing. You know, I have I have a bootleg of them where they're playing Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers by ZZ Top, and then they play Get Down Tonight by the fucking KC and the Sunshine Band. You know what I mean? You're just it's just that's what they had to do. They could play they could play fucking Earth Wind and Fire. Because Dave could do it, Dave wanted to do it, and people wanted to dance, so they couldn't just fucking go crazy. And so he he had it in him. And also, but the funny thing is, he tells the story. He's like, I I couldn't play them like them. He goes, I had to play them like me. He goes, I I couldn't play those songs and and sound like anybody but me. And you know, I'm sure that seemed like a hindrance at the time to club owners and stuff. But in reality, it's it's his fucking calling card. You know, he could never be anybody but him. And that's what I alluded to when I said, anytime you heard one note, one strum, anything, you're like, oh, that's Eddie. Rich and I are sitting around listening to somebody get me a doctor. And in the solo, he plays the solo in the song. And then there's a round of applause. Like it's, it's, it's fucking, it's such a great conceit. It's another thing. Van Halen, Van Halen was just fun. They were just goddamn fun. You know, Dave had a lot to do with that. You know, Eddie, as a person, Eddie was Eddie was shy and he was a little withdrawn and he was a gearhead, man. He wanted to play guitar. But on stage he would cut loose and and just float. Like he'd be running and he'd be doing those jump splits, you know, the fucking Eddie Van Halen jump splits and, and I mean Dave's doing splits off the drum riser, Mike's doing somersaults. That fucking band was insane. They were goddamn insane. And that was from years forged in battle where they'd be playing in backyards and fucking high school gyms. And, and they'd play a phone booth. If you promised to call, they, they were driven. They had to do it. There was nothing else they could do. And they would just crush it, man. They, they would play everywhere and anywhere. And they, they were, Eddie was just fun on stage. Dave was fun. They, they were so tight there are clips from them on stage in 82 and 84 where you're just going, my God, they, they were truthfully the mighty Van Halen. So Rich and I are in his bedroom and we're listening to somebody give me a doctor. And one of the fun flourishes, like I said, is the, the, the solo ends and then they are, everybody's clapping. 
they're just going crazy. They, there's this thing we're like, whoa, yeah, 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 yeah. And then Eddie kicks right back into the fucking hook. And then this noise happens. This sound Rich and I had never, ever heard before. And Rich is a musician. Granted, he's a kid. But but you have you know your way around an instrument a little bit, and we hear this noise come out, and both of us, I I I, I might have even grabbed his leg. It was it was almost as if we saw a ghost. We were so scared, and and it's like that scene where I'm so scared, I'm so I'm so nervous, I'm so happy, whatever the fuck. We we were just like whoa, and we were like what the fuck was that? And uh, and again we're I'm 13, you know what I mean, and. and <laughs> He is, he's 14. And so we just kept picking the needle up and pulling it back to listen. Cause again, it's a fucking record. It's not a cassette. It's not a fucking CD. So you have to keep picking up the needle and we keep picking up the needle, which is awesome. Cause I mean, I don't, I'll listen to the solo on repeat. I don't give a fuck, but we kept trying to figure out what the noise was that we heard coming out of his guitar at the end of the fucking solo. He's like, you know, he, he hits the solo and then he hits the, the down, 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 down. And then this noise, it goes, it's like this. It's I, I, I don't know how to explain. It sounds like a cat walking across piano strings. Does that make any sense? I, I, I it sounded like it was from space. It was nothing we had. And, and we had heard eruption. OK, we had heard eruption. And still we were like, what the fuck was that? And we kept listening to it over and over and over and over and rewinding it and over. <laughs> Finally figured it out. Not really. We just kind of, we couldn't do it, but we, we sort of thought what we knew. And then eventually we find out later what it was is Eddie was pulling off the strings with his left hand while muting them with his finger on his right hand. So he was using his index finger to slide up the neck while he was pulling off with his left hand. And I've already lost you with whatever guitar gear talk you if you understand what i'm saying i don't even know i i like i said i know i know what hammer-ons and pull-offs and vibratos and and humbucking pickups like i learned these things just because i loved eddie i don't i don't know i didn't know what they are i couldn't pick them out in a store but i would read i, I wanted to know his language so i would read guitar world interviews and i don't know a fucking thing about gear or all that shit but he would tell stories about tearing apart vintage guitars and building new ones you know, when he built the Frankenstrat, he, he fucking, he, he just, he was trying to figure, he wanted to have humbucking pickups. He wanted, he basically combined, uh, a Fender and a Les Paul. 
I think it was. And he, he combined them together, uh, or a fender and a strat. I don't, I I'm, I'm doing it, not doing it justice, but he, he tore it all apart and he put together the guitar that he wanted to see if it would work. He bought a Marshall amp. This is dude, this dude bought a Marshall amp and, uh, he didn't realize it was from England. So he plugged it in and it didn't work, but then he saw that it was 220 volts. So it had to heat up. And then he built a fucking, he went to a store in Burbank and he got a, or Pasadena and he got a thing called a Variac, which was a dimmer switch for lights and he added that to his amp so he could use that as a volume knob and turn up the volume whenever he wanted he's superseding the fucking volume that was in the the amp itself and again you know how much i hate this kind of talk but it fascinated me coming from him because he made it interesting and also because i knew whatever the end result of his tinkering uh i it was going to be something that i loved It, it it created something that i loved forever uh, even even the fucking appearance of the Frankenstrat, you know, he he. There was no calculation in what Eddie did. He just he, there was no calculation. There was just innovation. He he didn't sit and go, all right, I need to invent this, and here's why. No, he's fucking, he's melting wax on a hot plate and dumping pickups in there to try to make them work, and he's ruining them, and he's just trial and erring. He's he's, he's it's it's as if. Mozart and Thomas Edison were the same guy. I, 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 I can't stress enough how amazing he was. You know, you can say, oh, yeah, look at his stripey guitar and I'll look at this his fucking, you know, the riff to Unchained. And oh, my God, look at those overalls. And yes, but please know that he he was driven to create everything that you heard that that by trial and error, by tearing apart amps, by building and doing things like I, you know, he didn't just pick up a guitar, any guitar off the rack and went, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm good. You know, they asked him once they said, you know, Clapton and Hendrix, these guys played the, these regular guitars like off the rack. And he goes, well, that was good enough for them, obviously, but not for me. He knew what he needed and, and it wasn't available. So he fucking built it. He made it. The Frankenstrat, the appearance of it with the stripes is fucking iconic. It's amazing. In in on Instagram this week, Dweezil Zappa put a photo of his fucking ceiling uh, in his in his living room, and it ha- it's the pattern of the Frankenstrat. And he said, "Now I he goes because he goes I looked up to Eddie, and now every day I can still look up to Eddie because Dweezil loved him. Dweezil, you know, he he got guitar lessons from Eddie." Eddie, I think, was the first guy to call him when Frank died. He, he was he was a good person. In in addition to being this unbelievable genius, you know, I'm sure you've heard the story of Dimebag Daryl from Pantera. Eddie met him, and he just thought he was a genuine dude, and he was hanging out with him and Vinny, and they wound up being friends, and then and then Daryl died, and uh. You know, Dime loved Van Halen, and and so Vinny tried to contact Eddie and said, "Hey, look, you know, he loved the the Bumblebee Strat on uh, you know uh, guitar on the back of Van Halen too. If you have a replica of that, we would love it because he he would want it. He would want to take it with him." And Eddie showed up at this funeral for a guy he'd known a couple of months. Like they didn't they didn't they weren't great friends. They weren't best friends, but they spoke the same fucking language. And Eddie must have seen some kind of kindred spirit in him because Eddie showed up at the funeral with the original guitar from the back of Van Halen 2. 
And he said, Dime was an original. He deserves an original. And Dime Bagdaro was buried with that guitar. You know, just, just for all, from all appearances that I can see, a good man, in addition to just being this fucking space alien sent to Earth to show us what it means to be talented... I'm focusing on uh, riffs you might not have heard. Uh, look, I, I, you know, I could play Panama, and and I could play, um, you know, I, I, I played "Ain't Talking About Love," which you have to, you know what I mean? Some songs you have to dance the night away. You guys know, uh, and because it meant so much to me, I had to include it. But I'm, I'm, these are my favorites. This is stuff that uh, now look, and it doesn't mean I don't love the other. I mean, I, I love, I love it all. I love it all, but these are these are riffs that stay with me. You know, like I said, the first album I ever heard was Van Halen too, and uh, I used to go to sleep to it. Uh, I used to put on side two, um, that would start with "Light Up the Sky," and I'd try to be asleep by the end. You know, I'd, I'd race, I'd, I'd race Eddie to sleep. Um, so like I said, I I I went, I borrowed Van Halen two from Dave Sheehan. And, uh, and that was it. Then I went and got Van Halen one and was, I, you know, then I, I heard eruption and was like, Oh my Christ. Um, and, and listened to all of, and then that was it. I was obsessed with them. And, uh, and I still loved seventies AM radio because in, in 1979, I, I won a radio contest and I got get the knack and I played the hell out of that album. Uh, still played kiss. You know, I, I, I still like that stuff, but but I loved Van Halen because Van Halen to me was the first band that was mine. I found them. Uh, I found them through, through Andy charts, notebook, through discussions in the lunchroom, through Dave Sheehan's record collection. I found them and Lenny loves Van Halen too. And, and I don't know what he would consider his moment of discovery. Um, you know, he, he, he may he may love them as much as I do, um, but but uh, you know whatever. I, I I'm not trying to have a fucking dick swinging contest over who loved Van Halen more and when and who who loved them first. I can only tell you about my journey and how I found them. Um, you know I li- I listened and and I wanted to see them so bad. Jesus, did I want to see them? And then. Uh, Lenny and I were going to go to the fair warning tour, which came along. Now fair warning is, uh, fair warning comes out. Well, first of all, all right. So, uh, Van Halen two, and then, um, women and children first comes out and women and children first has, uh, everybody wants some, of course. And, and then it has the, uh, uh, the, um, well, I can't, I, I'm sorry. My brain hurts right now. I can't believe it's at it. Oh, it opens with and the cradle will rock. Okay. And, and, uh, 
And those are, again, riffs that I could bring you, but you, you know them. And those became staples of the radio stuff that we listened to. We went and got the album, and I loved the album cover because they were all like fucking grabbing one another and just fucking this pile of Van Halen. And uh, and I listened to that album too and loved it. And um, there there were songs, um, you know, that album closes with a song called In a Simple Rhyme. And uh, it's gorgeous. It's it's a it's a beautiful you know the, it's got an opening piece. Well, I'll play. Uh, fuck it, I'll play it. I'll play the opening piece for you, and uh, it's just it's just another riff that needs to be heard from Eddie. It's just it's so so good. And then there's also a song called Fools, um, which uh, these are again you know and the Creative Rock you know um, everybody wants them because they're great. That fucking drum the drum fucking thing which then goes on to be in Better Off Dead which becomes iconic. Uh, you know, and it's and, and a lot of Dave's personality is in, in printed on both of those songs. Have you seen Junior's grades? Uh, you know, there. You know, I love the way the stockings. Uh, I love the way the line runs up the back of the stockings. Like that's that was why they were so amazing. The combination of Dave doing his ridiculous triple knickerbocker twist with a smile, Jim Dandy stuff, and then and then Eddie holding it down. They were a band that everyone could love. They were a band that, that uh, just regular meathead rock dudes could love. They were a band that gearheads could love. They were a band that, that the girls loved. Uh, Van Halen music just sounds like a bikini. It does. It just, it just sounds like you're not, you're not, you're instantly transported to a beach, a barbecue, a bikini and beer Four bees, the killer bees of Van Halen. Uh, it, it just sounds like you're playing volleyball in the sun. I don't know how to explain it. His, his music is, uh, it, cause it's, you know what? It, it's relentless. It just comes at you. It's not, not in an, not in an Ingve way, you know, where you're just overwhelmed and, and, and swarmed under by notes, but more in, he was, he was playing, he was playing color. He was playing uh, light. He was playing a smile, like it just a grin. And also, that's the thing is also he was beautiful. He was just a beautiful man. I mean, he that gorgeous smile and then the hair and and he he just he looked he looked like a god. And uh, he just made you happy. They made you happy with what they did. Dave made you happy with his nonsense, and then Eddie was there to. To, to hold it down with brilliance, nonsense and brilliance. Can you, can you, can you ask for a better combination than that? You probably can't. And, uh, so I'd, I'd listen to women and children first. And, and to, to me, uh, you know, like I said, the, the, there's no doubt those two songs that I mentioned are, are amazing. Um, but in a simple rhyme has this opening riff. Uh, it, ju- it just, it's crazy how how beautiful it is. Now you hear that piece of music and it's gorgeous. It 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 sounds like bells. Uh, and, and and actually, there's a great line in that song where it's like, I heard bells ringing. I think I heard an angel sigh. And she said, there'll be times 
There will be times you're going to hear the angels singing. It's it's lovely. It's it's just beautiful. And I'll tell you what, on that same album, you hear that riff? You hear that fucking crystal clear sounds like a goddamn bell riff from In a Simple Rhyme? Well, well, okay. Well, let me hit you in the face with the fucking shovel of fools. fucking guy did both of those on the same fucking album baby and and literally separated by five tracks uh <laughs> just just a fucking miracle i i and and because he had it all in him you know he he had muscle he had beauty he had anything you wanted to bring he just he just killed it there's another you know what fuck it there's another song on women and children first i know i know uh Van Halen could end a song like nobody else. The they the way they're on stage and on record, they would end songs with it's like doom 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 boom doom doom like these these unbelievable endings. They didn't fade out. Like very very rarely did they fade out. I'm gonna play another. I'm gonna play another song later where they fade out. Maybe two. Who knows? Uh, but they they were they just would end with these aggressive endings. They just they knew he knew what to do. And 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 that's how they handled it. And but there's another song on on women and children first. They once asked Eddie uh, what what he how to describe Van Halen's music, and uh, he said it sounded like Godzilla rising from the ocean. Uh, and and oh my Christ, do I love that quote? Do I I how? How perfect is that? And how, how perfect that he knows how, how that that's what they sound like. Cause they did, they were just a monster. They were a monolith. They were huge and they loomed over the horizon. And there's a song on women and children first. And it's just that it's a quick interlude song in between. It's just a quick hitter. But, uh, but but it's I, I like to think that Eddie had this song, Tora Tora, in mind when he said that Van Halen sounds like Godzilla rising from the ocean.
And, and again, just the goofy screams. Just, like I said, fun. They fucking had fun. So Women and Children First comes out. We listen to that. I listen to it to death. And then Fair Warning comes out in 1981. And that... Uh, that's that's my favorite album of all time. Any music, any genre, any band. Um, because, you know, you listen to the first three uh, Van Halen albums, they're amazing, but fair warning, um, you can hear this, and, and it comes through. And I find, I find this out later by reading interviews, but I could tell something was different when I listened to the album. It was different. Uh, and I'm, like I said, I'm sitting here telling you that he was he was happy and you know the their music was of a of a piece where you would think to yourself let's open up a trunk of the car and it's filled with ice and beer and and that sort of thing but if you listen to fair warning fair warning is is darker than their previous work and uh and it spoke to me instantly like i said i'm i'm 14 when it comes out and i uh and i i hear it right away and um from the opening riff of, of fair warning, which is mean street. You're like, all right, well, this is different because it's, it's even the subject matter is a little darker, a little, it's not, it's not all smiley and happy. You know, the, the first side of fair warning goes mean street, 30 movies, center swing. And then, um, my favorite song of all time, my favorite Van Halen song of all time is hear about it later. And, uh, you know, so, so this, this album is famous for unchained the riff for unchained. Uh, fuck it. I'm going to play all of these. I know, I know, I know. But um, well, let, let's just go ahead and play play Mean Street really quick. So then, so then that'll set up what else I have to talk about. Cool. <laughs> well, I'm asking you for permission. You're you're hearing this now. It's not like you can go. Nope. <laughs> opening riff of the album so it it announces itself very aggressively from the jump uh and and the words in that song are you know there's a there's a piece where dave says see a gun is real easy in this desperate part of town turns you from hunted into hunter go and hunt somebody down hey wait a minute somebody said fair warning lord lord strike that poor boy down and then eddie goes this fucking like fucking he up the neck it's just fucking mean man and aggressive and you can hear it from uh, uh right from the beginning the opening note of this album is so aggressive and and i find out later in reading that there was turmoil in the band that basically eddie wanted to fire dave like he was he was fed up with him at this point for whatever reason um, and, and he had planned on doing this album with different lead singers for every track. Like he had already reached out to Pete Townsend and to Phil Collins, and he was going to have each of them sing 
lead on a different uh, um, song on the album. He would have had a different lead singer for every single song. And, uh, and which leads me to wonder uh, how Phil Collins would have tackled Mean Street, which is fucking insane. And to hear Pete Townsend do Unchained would have been out of my fucking mind listening to that. Um, but that's how fed up Eddie was. And it comes through in his guitar playing in this album. There, there's, I mean, of course, there's, there's the riff from Unchained, which, which I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to just play these. I'm, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll play them back to back with just one. So let's play. Uh, here's, Again, you want to talk about aggressive. This is this right here is is forever associated with aggressive Eddie. This is the thing that they they wound up opening with it later. You know, they would open with Romeo Delight all the time, which was uh, another song off Women and Children First, which is fantastic. And they would tear the fucking place down with it because it's just it's just a chug a chug a fucking monster. Um, but Unchained, the riff uh, in the beginning is this has been this is something that is always associated with aggressive Eddie is is the riff in Unchained, the opening riff. You see, I mean, it's just, it, it grabs you right by the fucking shirt collar. It's, and it's just dirty, you know what I mean? Kind of fuzzy and, and it just doesn't sound, uh, it's not as clean as most of his other stuff. There's an effect obviously on it and it just, and then it has that, it just, it stays in, in your mind. It just, it sounds like you played it with a razor blade. It's just, it's just so fucking dirty and fuzzy and, and, uh, and aggressive and, uh, and on the same on the same album, and the, these songs go back to back. I, I unchained though, unfortunately, is second. So I, I should have, I guess, I should have flip flopped these. Um, but hear about it later is my favorite Van Halen song. And I, I people ask why, and I go, I I don't know. I it's there was something about the first time I ever heard it. It's not like it speaks to me in personal experience. It's not like it's something where I'm like, oh yeah, no, I totally, this lyric is relevant to my life. It's, it's, um, it has, it has something to do with, there was a live video of it that would be on MTV. And, you know, when I listened to, you know, I listened to Unchained and or, I'm sorry, I listened to Fair Warning and I, I, you know, I love the whole album. I, I just did. It gets a little hinky on side uh, two where it with, you know, um, Sunday afternoon in the park, but, but that's just a, that's just an instrumental piece that leads into one foot out the door, which we'll get to in just a second. Um, but hear about it later is, you know, it's as dirty as unchained is as aggressive as, uh, as, as filthy as, as hiding in a dark alley behind a garbage can waiting to hit you in the head with a blackjack as unchained is, uh, that's how clean the opening of hear about it later is that's how you would, you would listen to this in, in earbuds, not then, but headphones, I would listen with headphones and it's almost like I could hear the pick hitting the strings. I love this opening so much. Uh, it, it's, it's, as I said, a song that it's not like, I'm like, Oh yeah, the lyrics mean a whole lot to me or, Oh, it's got deeper meaning. I mean, certainly there's other songs that I've heard that, that touch me in a different way. Um, but this song, again, listen, hearing it on the album when it comes out of, because it comes out of Center Swing, which is a fucking jam. And then it's, it just, it's a stop sign. You know what it is? It's a goddamn stop sign between Center Swing and Unchained. <laughs> <laughs> 
because Eddie was mad. Eddie's mad through Mean Street. He's kind of fucking, you know, dirty movies is a groove, but still that even even that he has his anger. There's anger all over Sinner Swing. The guitar sounds like it's fucking out of control. Like he's literally Sinner Swing. It sounds like he's trying to lasso the guitar to the ground and wrestle it down and and, and control it because there's this thing where he, he's just like, but it out, but it out, out, out. I don't even know. It's like he he grinds the pick on the fucking the, the uh, either on the pickup or on the strings or something. It makes this really weird fucking noise it just it sounds like he can't stop the guitar from doing bad things <laughs> and so and that's how center swing ends and then hear about it later starts and it it's almost this it's a sigh it's a break between rounds which picks up right away with fucking unchained and it's also your typical Van Halen song, I told you, boy, they really know how to end songs. The end of Hear About It Later, it's just, you know, it just builds to this crescendo and it's chugga chugga and then down, down, down. They're so good. <laughs> but the opening riff of this is this, this raft in the in the midst of a choppy ocean that you've been trying to climb out of and couldn't. And then you finally are able to grab for purchase and pull yourself up and, and hear about it later exists as, as that respite from absolute aggression and anger. And I don't underestimate the live video as being a way to sell me on that song because they uh, they just looked incredible on stage. Dave looked like what I thought a man should look like uh, to be loved by girls. <laughs> I was, again, 13, 14 at the time. Uh, 14, actually. And, and, you know, Dave's wearing these fucking skin-tight white fucking spandex pants and his mane of hair. is. Go watch those videos. Go see the Unchained live video from Oakland and the hear about it later live video from Oakland and, and just look at Eddie destroying. And so hear about it later opens with that little clean riff you just heard. And the, the video opens with the big Van Halen lights behind them, the logo. And, and let's, you know, let's talk about the logo. I mentioned that's what grabbed me when I saw it on Andy's fucking notebook. And it's just the best logo in the history of rock and roll fight me. It just, it's, and I, I, you know what, I'll be honest with you, I hate the fact that Weezer's fucking around with it, and I know he's doing it as a tribute. Uh, if you listen to their last album, there's two songs that basically sound like, hey, let's write songs that sound like, sound like Eddie Van Halen. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, I don't know if Rivers is just as infatuated as I am with Eddie or or what, but boy, oh boy, it, it is... I have to admit, it makes me a little angry that they've appropriated the Van Halen logo and put the, put the made the Weezer logo look... It, whatever, fucking who cares? It, it's... Um, the logo was, was, it was easy to draw, but it said everything. It said everything you needed to say. It was the VH, the mighty VH Van Halen. Uh, it's, it's, it's so great. So in that video, the light, the giant Van Halen logo is lighting up with, uh, 
light bulbs and then you just hear Eddie, you know, do 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 he just he opens the beginning of Hear About It Later and uh and his the solo is so good. It's just so good. I love that song. It's my favorite Van Halen song off my favorite Van Halen album. And uh like I said, it's it's a respite from aggression and there's aggression even even so this is love which is later which is a goddamn jam is just even though it's still kind of a, a swing song uh, it's it's still aggressive but the aggression peaks at the end of the album there's a song called one foot out the door and it you know it comes on the heels of sunday afternoon in the park which is just an eddie even even trying to do a keyboard piece on this album he's furious <laughs> So Sunday afternoon in the park just sounds like it's just this odd amalgam of of sounds through a keyboard, uh, and and then it descends into one foot out the door, which sounds like a punk song, uh, you know. And then you know, I grabbed that telephone, thought she was alone, telling me there's company, your husband's coming home, uh, and it's just fucking and and it's only two minutes long, one foot out the door. Because you consider it a couplet with Sunday afternoon in the park, that's four minutes. But but dude, one foot out the door, it's two minutes long. But the last minute of of one foot out the door, which is the last minute of the album, is just Eddie murdering you with his guitar. Eddie, it, it, and it's it's one of my favorite solos because it's just you know uh, Dave goes, I'm coming back back for more, and then Eddie goes. The, the drum even revs it up. So the, it, it sound, you know what it sounds like? It, it sounds like trying to start an old car because uh, Alex just goes, like almost sounds like a, like that. And you hear Eddie, he does this dive bomb. Where he goes, I'm coming back, back for, and that lies underneath. And then the, the solo punches you. The, the first note, there's no, it's not smooth. It's not melodic. It's just this, it's an attack. You know what it sounds like? It this if If you were to tell me Hey, give me music that sounds like a stabbing. That's what the fucking solo in One Foot Out the Door sounds like. things i love is that he sounds like he's spent and it does that like kind of that echoey feedback thing and then he just comes right back with and you're just like oh he's i guess he's still mad (laughs) this guy's still fucking pissed and uh and i also love the fact that he just he just plays it uh into oblivion even on the fade you can hear he's still fucking destroying and then it grabs that hook this is another thing. It's not, it's anger 
and it's it's just a st- it's all over the place but then it composes itself at the end where it's because it's lost control I mean, clearly it's lost control for the first 35 seconds of the solo 35 40 and then there's that and then it it, it, it it composes itself and then on the way out it goes there's still the man still has fucking swing in his anger the man still has hooks in his rage fucking love it fucking love him so so fair warning is my favorite album of all time and i actually at this time i'm uh, it's in 1981 and i can actually go to concerts now like i'm 14 um and uh, uh you know i I'd, I'd been to concerts the previous i i saw uh rush on moving pictures i saw reo on high infidelity and and we wanted to go see Fair Warning, and Lenny and I were going to go, and and we actually got tickets. Uh, if I remember right, they were like 14th row. We got unbelievable tickets through a connection from one of my mom's fucking hoodlum friends. And uh, and I don't know what happened. I, I I couldn't even speak to the incident because the aftermath is so harrowing. I've forgotten it. But we were grounded for something we did either in school or, or I don't, I couldn't tell you. And, uh, my mom took away our tickets to Van Halen, the fair warning tour. I I could have seen Van Halen. Now, 53 year old me knows now what is my favorite album of all time. I could have seen them on that tour. We had tickets, the video, the tour that the video from Oakland is from with the giant logo and Eddie with the fucking Ronald McDonald fucking socks and, and Dave looking like the best Dave you'll ever see. And, uh, I could have gone and, uh, my mom took away the tickets, which sounds bad, but then I tell you this. My mom took away our tickets and went to the concert. Yeah. Um, my brother's done this on uh, in a stand-up routine forever. I think I've mentioned it here on the show. And uh, it's, you know, because my mom, you know, she partied and she, she liked Van Halen too. And she thought Dave was hot. And uh, like I said, she hung out with a bunch of criminals. And, and uh, I think even the guy who got us the tickets wound up taking my mom to the show. And, and now, as I think about it later, I wonder if it was just all a scheme. Like if there was some ridiculous plot where Mark realized the tickets were too good to give to kids. And he was like, hmm. And they cooked up some fucking trap where they, they were waiting for us to slip up because you knew we'd slip up because we were 14 and dumb. Or, and Lenny was fucking 16, 17. And uh, I... I um, Again, it's a funny anecdote and it's a fun story to tell, but at the same time, I won't lie. I'm I'm still fucking pissed off about it. Pissed off like you wouldn't fucking believe because that was that 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 would have been the tour of my life. That would have been amazing. Uh, but she had a fantastic time. <laughs> so that's the most important thing. Uh, then uh, after fair warning, they put out Diver Down. Uh, which is an album that is rushed because is the there you know the, the tension between Eddie and Dave is probably still just as bad as it was on Fair Warning, 
uh, because Dave would do this thing where at, at the end of the fair warning tour, he disappears with the jungle studs. That's a real thing. Like he would have these friends and they just go into the fucking jungle and they disappear without fucking any way to contact them for a month. And that would drive Eddie crazy because Eddie would have songs or he'd want to bang stuff out because Eddie was a fountain of creativity. Eddie was also a gearhead and Eddie was someone who, you know, he would, he would tell the stories that he, uh, you know, he, he, as I said to you before, he was a rock star without being a rock star. He didn't, he didn't have pretense. You know, he wasn't a guy. I tell the story often about the black crows where they're like, Oh, you know, this is so weird. We're becoming famous and everybody's giving us a hard time and they won't leave us alone. And then I worked a show as a bouncer where their bus pulled up and uh, the first guy who got off the boat, the fucking bus had like a two foot tall top hat on. And then the next guy had a fucking pig on a leash. And I'm like, well, okay, well, you motherfuckers really don't want to be noticed, do you? Please. Um, so Eddie, but Eddie wasn't crying wolf. He he was, he just wanted to make music. He happened to be a, a, a musician in a rock band. And he does, and, and which be, and because of his musicianship and the hooks and the writing, he they became the biggest rock band in the world. But he would be on tour, and he was awkward, and he he didn't uh, want to destroy hotel rooms and do weird shit, did he? Maybe, but but he he's often said that he was shy and awkward, and he would go back to his room when they were on tour, and he would just do coke all night, and he would drink vodka, which was his drink, which he. He learned in school. He, you know, his dad was an alcoholic, so Eddie was an alcoholic from from he from childhood. Eddie would get drunk before high school. His his ninth grade science teacher told him, "Don't drink anything you can't see through." And Eddie was like, "Like vodka?" And and the kid, the his teacher was like, "Yeah, I guess they knew that he was that's where he was going to go." So vodka became his drink, and so he would literally go to his room and he would do coke and he would drink vodka while he played. He would play guitar into a recorder until it just it, it he he wouldn't even think about it he wasn't trying to create riffs he was trying to play and he was trying to turn whatever was in his head into notes and music for posterity and keeping it he even off the road when they weren't touring he stayed home you know he'd go out to shows occasionally but he would play and he built 5150 as a fuck you to ted templeman and and he would play in his home studio with Alex. Alex, who was his best friend since birth, his older brother, uh, and they would stay up for hours, uh, fuck days, jamming in fifty one fifty. Sammy tells the story that when he went to the studio, it was just filled with fucking beer bottles and cigarettes and stuff. But also, you know, they they were ready to work. You know, when they needed to work, they were ready to fucking work. And they said, "Let's do this." Um, and he basically lived in the studio because, again, he he was compelled to create. So there was tension with Dave, who was compelled to do a somersault. You know what I mean? Who was who was compelled to find a camera? And uh, it worked fantastic. It was an amazing dynamic for the band's success. But I, I fear that it was a, a bad dynamic within the band itself. But what are you going to do? You know, they they did the best they could. And then they put out Diver Down, which has like 14 cover songs on it. Uh, I don't know if they just owed the studio an album super quick. But it, uh, it, it, it needed to be done, basically. They were like, all right, well... We need to get on the road. We need to do this. So they put out this album. And look, it's got it's got some brilliance on it. There's no doubt. 
It's got uh it's got fucking like I said, eight million covers. But it's got Cathedral, which became a staple of Eddie's solos forever, which is a again, we talk about innovating. He he played the you know, Cathedral sounds like a church organ, but it's his guitar. And what he's doing is he's pulling off with one hand while he's turning the volume knob up and down. Uh, if you ever watch him play it, it's it's interesting. It's a trick. There's a beautiful song called Secrets on on Diver Down that uh, you wouldn't, let's put it this way, you wouldn't think it was Van Halen, except for the fact that Van Halen is playing it. <laughs> it sounds like it could be played by any other band, but Alex's drum and Eddie's guitar gives it away, but it's it's a slow um, it's a beautiful song. She ain't waiting till she gets older. Her feet are making tracks in the winter so snow. She's got a rainbow that touches her shoulder. She beheaded where the thunder rolls. Um, it's a great song. And then Intruder is on it, which is the opening, the fucking ominous opening, and that goes right into Pretty Woman. The remake of Dancing in the Street. Jesus, again, there's so many fucking covers. But um, notable on this album is is they did another cover called Big Bad Bill is Sweet William Now. Uh, it's, you know, it's not for me. I remember even hearing it at the time, just going, what the fuck? Why is this on a Van Halen album? Uh, but one of the reasons it's on a Van Halen album is because Eddie and Alex got to play with their dad and, uh, their dad made them what they are today, what they became because music was always around them and he made sure they had a love and an appreciation for it. And then they were just lucky enough to both be unbelievably talented at it as well. Now they had years of training on the piano, but they didn't have any training on the drums and and the guitar. And there's the famous story where Eddie wanted to play drums and they got Alex a flamenco guitar and Eddie was out delivering papers to try to buy a drum set. And then he would come home and uh, I'm sorry, Eddie would be delivering papers because he wanted to, uh, to buy uh, gear and he would come home and Alex would be playing his drums. And he was pissed. He was just, he was mad. And then finally he's like, well, fuck you. I guess I'll play your guitar. And, uh, and then it turns out that they were, that's where they were both supposed to be all along. Um, but their dad lived long enough to see their success. He passed away in 1986 and that made them extremely happy. And they had him, you know, he was featured on Diver Down. They got to play with him. His dad played clarinet on the album. And, uh, and their father was the, you know, probably the dominant influence in their lives. And, 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 even though he was an alcoholic and a vagabond musician who was constantly trying to find another place to jam, apparently he must have been a fantastic father because both of them loved him. And and there there was once a, an interview with Eddie and someone asked him if there was any dead musician, any any musician who's deceased or passed away that you could actually jam with, you could play with right now, who would it be? And there's a beat and then Eddie goes, I think I'd want to jam with my father again. Which is a perfect answer. Jesus. What a perfect answer. And and it wasn't, he didn't create it in a lab. It's what lived in his heart. And that's amazing. So they were able to have him play on this song, which, by the way, is not a guy, I don't like it, but that's okay. I'm happy that they had that experience. But, um, but for as weak sauce as fucking Diver Down can be, it's still got full bug. It's got hang them high. These are, these are great songs. Uh, it's just, again, they just, they had to put out an album. So there's 15 cover songs on it, but it has what is, um, for my money, one of, one of certainly the top 10, if not top five Van Halen songs of all time. And it's a song called little guitars. And it has, uh, an intro 
you know, little, there's a little flamenco kind of intro that, that Eddie plays. And, uh, and then it's got, and then the song itself is, it is the quintessential Van Halen song because again, it sounds just like them, but it also doesn't sound like a song they would do. And it, uh, the hook in it is just this, it's Eddie playing this tiny little fucking guitar. And again, the notes sound like he's fucking finger picking them. It's, uh, and, and Dave sings. I know that sounds weird, but Dave's not yelling, you know, like he's he, with the, wah, the, the screams and stuff. He, uh, he sings, this, I, uh, even the first line, the first line you hear, it's different because Dave goes, Senorita, I'm in trouble again and I can't get free. And then the background vocal, Senorita, it's Mike and, and Eddie, you know, that was a secret weapon of the band was the, was the vocals, the, the background vocals was always something that jumped out at you that always did something stayed with you and, and they, again, it sounded like nobody else. They sound, they've never sounded like anybody else, whether it's the background vocals, whether it's the guitar, the drum, Dave, that's why they were so successful. That's why they were perfect. That's why they were, they were a fucking traveling kaleidoscope. You couldn't stop looking at. They were a feast for the eyes and the ears. They were so great. And little guitars, you know, it has the intro and, and, uh, and I gotta be, all right, look, I couldn't decide whether to play the intro for you or to play the opening of the, of the actual song. Uh, and I, and I think I, <laughs> I want to play all of it. Like I want to play the whole song. I want to play the whole open and the whole, the whole song, because you can hear, the the song starts and then it start again. It's one of those songs that just starts to cook in the middle and then near the end, you know, when Dave goes uh, uh, and they're running, that's just there's a clip from 1982. We're on the road for Diver Down, and uh, and they're they're playing the song and and they hit this groove and they just start running back and forth and it's so joyful. They're it's almost like when when you hear about children who don't know how to to conceptualize what they're thinking or process their emotions. They're so happy. They just jump up and down or they're so happy. They just run in circles. There's a clip of them on stage in 1982 from, from Largo center in Washington, DC. And it it's them. They hit this, this, this beat. And then they just start running. The song starts to fly and they're running back and forth. And there's just unmitigated joy. And I can attest to this because I finally got to see them on this tour. I saw them in uh, in summer of 1982. It's the first time I ever saw them. I saw them on Diver Down with Mike Scott, my friend. And I've told this story before because the keyboard player, <laughs> there was there was a band called After the Fire who sang a song called Der Commissar. Don't turn around. Oh, oh, oh. Ja, ja, der Commissar's in town. Oh, oh, oh. Well, they opened. And their fucking keyboard player was a dick. Like he was doing all these weird histrionics. I mean, they had singers and shit, but I mean, he was pointing and jumping and he was, he was doing weird. He just, it was one of those things where like, you're like, all right, buddy, you know, dial it down. You were trying so fucking hard to be noticed. We get it. We see who you are. We know what you're doing. And, uh, finally someone just threw a fucking pint whiskey bottle. One of those, like it's shaped like a flask. You know what I'm talking about? And it fucking hit him right in the head. 
and you saw him just go down in a goddamn heap. And again, bands just keep playing all of a sudden, but they're probably wondering why, hey, why is there no more keyboards? They'll look around, they go to look for him. A guy runs in from off stage and he kind of stands up like, I'm fine, but he got crowned by a fucking pint bottle. It was gorgeous. And again, I'm just like, dude, that's amazing. Uh, and then I'm waiting for Van Halen and I, and I'm dude, I'm vibrating in the audience. I can't, I, you know, I, I'm, I just turned 15 when I see them and, uh, they, they had a curtain. I would, I do remember this. They had a curtain and, uh, as the curtain opened, there's, there's, um, they, you know, Tora Tora plays. All right. Well, when they went to the, the, the song I just played where it goes bound down, 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 that's playing as the curtain opens on them. And then the guy comes out and he says, Chicago. All right, Chicago. Welcome the mighty Van Halen. And Eddie, it comes, he's there with the spotlight and he just, it, they, they open with Romeo delight and it's, it's tapping on the neck and it's and the fucking lights hit and Dave jumps off the drums and, and, and 15 year old me, comes in his pants twice like i like hands free motherfucker like i'm that was the moment i had lived for up to that moment and they play romeo delight and they tear the place apart and then they fucking immediately go into unchained uh and then the drum solo which i that didn't make a lot of sense to me do i kill your momentum go with three hard out of the box uh but dave walking around and drinking whiskey they played the full bug after that then running with the devil then then and then Jamie's crying, which is a song that I would have, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I don't think I even talked much about Van Halen one after I've got Van Halen two, I went back and listened to Van Halen one. And, uh, you know, and that I've, I've, I played a couple of riffs from I'm the one and on fire here in, in the earlier in the show, because those are, you, you know, the others, you know what I mean? You know, there's so many riffs that, you know, that I'm trying to bring in stuff that is, that I love. Uh, but Jamie's crying is my favorite song off Van Halen one. I, I, I'm, it's just, it's even more than ain't talking about love. It's just cause that, that they stand out. You hear how different they are because with that break where he's at, where in the middle of the song, the breakdown where he goes, when Jamie's been in love before and the, the background vocal goes, ah, ah, and, and the guitar rip that, that, that sultry fucking boom it's just man it's gorgeous so they play jamie's crying and then they go into uh in the uic pavilion on the diver down tour in august of 1982 they do little guitars and i saw them tear the place apart same thing where they hit the note that's why i'm talking about the clip from largo on online if you can find it largo dc whatever the fuck and and it's just it was it was a jailbreak of happiness as they're running and just jumping around and and like like i said little kids who couldn't express their emotions so they just had to run (laughs) and they're singing and yelling and oh my god what joy fucking amazing and mike and i sat there and watched it and i i just i man they were so good just it's i it was what i'd been waiting for and it did not disappoint. I was so happy to see them. And uh, and so, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to play. I'm going to play. You can fast forward if you want. 
I'll tell you right now. Hold on. Let me let me let you know. Uh, the intro to Little Guitars is 42 seconds, and then the actual song is 3:48. So you're looking at uh, four and a half minutes. You want to jump ahead four and a half minutes? Go right ahead. Uh, but this is the intro and the song Little Fucking Guitars.
that ending. You hear that ending? And I tell you, they know how to end a goddamn song. Phenomenal. So, uh, you know, Diver Down is is it's great. It's there's still there's still stars, <laughs> but they did they did cheat on that album a little bit by putting out a bunch of cover tunes. But whatever the fuck, I don't know what was going on in the dynamics of the band, and I respect them whatever they had to do. Uh, but there was a thought that, you know, well, all right, well, the next one, they, they, they're going to crush it. I mean, you know, if, because they, because it didn't, they took kind of a vacation on Diver Down, but I'm sure the next album they'll, they'll blow the doors off. So they tour through 82 and, uh, and then in 83, they get together for one fucking show. They play the us festival for a million dollars. Uh, and that, that whole concert's online. Here's the only bad thing about the us festival. Dave is fucking out of his mind. Drunk Dave, Dave. Dave always used to do this thing where he'd be, I forgot the fucking words, ah, whatever, he, all that shit. He, that was the part of the shtick. I'm going to fuck your girlfriend, all that stuff. But at the US Festival, he's he's noticeably impaired. I mean, he's just coasting by on on rock star fucking charisma. And uh, but the but it's worth watching because the band lights it up. Eddie fucking destroys. That's another thing I'd say. I'm sure Eddie. Hey, man, he might have been drunk every fucking moment of his life on stage for until he got clean. But but you 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 almost never knew it. Almost. Uh, so so then the next album, uh, they they announce when it's gonna, and it's funny like it's I I gotta tell you this real quick. Remember I told you you just you just know Van Halen when you hear them. Uh, it doesn't matter when or where. Uh, this is back before the internet where people like hyped these things that were coming out or you knew the release dates and stuff like that. MTV all of a sudden started telling you that they were going to premiere Van Halen's new video and it was going to be on New Year's Eve night. And uh, and and I, we didn't know what it was going to be. And I actually watched this with Max. I watched this at Max's wife, now wife, then girlfriend's house. Uh, she had a party for New Year's Eve and and we watched the video uh, for Jump. The key, it was funny. The keyboard started and there were some guys in the house who were actually like, oh man, uh, they were pissed. But then... There was me and 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 Max and my friend Brian and we watched it and I mean it, you just you couldn't help but love it you couldn't help but be happy I mean you, unless you were again like like all these assholes were pissed that Dave left the band and they want him back even though they're sixty seven years old or whatever the fuck you know what I mean these these people who never wanted him to play keyboards oh you're a guitar guy Dave himself said that to fucking Eddie and Eddie was like I'm a fucking musician. And he wanted to do whatever. And sure enough, then he does fucking and he had done keyboards before the opening of Van Cradle will rock was just fucking him smashing on a keyboard through a fucking Marshall cranked way up. And then also, like I said, Saturday afternoon in the park on fair warning has is a is a piece. And uh, but jump is the first like melodic piece he does. And uh, we watched the video and we're like, holy fuck, because it was different. But it was awesome because, again, he's got the solo and then the smiley face in the video. How can you argue with that? And the video is just them in a fucking room shot with like a fucking uh, a stationary camera. There's no because at this time, man, in fucking 1984, like I said, it's it's New Year's Eve, 1983. So in those in those years, 83, there there were guys filming on a pirate ship. You know what I mean? They're they're going across to an island. Uh, there's dudes who build like a fucking plane and they jump. Out. I mean, like all sorts of videos. They were all being experimental and fucking bananas. And and Van Halen stripped it down and said, you know what? Here we come. Here we come with keyboards and charisma and another solo that'll fucking make you go. Holy fuck. That guy's the king. And and they destroy it. And from the second the buzz started, then the album comes out. And I 
I was fascinated by the opening keyboard piece, which is 1984, that goes right into Jump. And and then the rest of the... Look, you know this album. I don't have to fucking tell you about it because it dominated. It dominated all the way up through the summer. Uh, and, and, even, and then that summer, Eddie, as if he couldn't get any bigger, he does the solo for Beat It on Thriller, um, which comes out and people then are like, holy fuck, what's that? Because it's this amalgam of, of this amazing, unbelievable, wonderkind, talented fucking genius who we'd known since he was fucking seven years old. And then he brings in Mozart to play a fucking solo. And it's, it just, it goes off the charts. Uh, but 1984 breaks them in a way that they'd never been broken before. Now they're the biggest band in the world. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, you've got Panama, you got jump, you've got fucking hot for teacher, which, uh, which I mean, I can't, I can't <laughs> literally, there's no, you know, the album, what the fuck am I even telling you for? I see them twice on that tour. Uh, we went and slept out for tickets. Me and my buddy, Eric Smith, uh, went, we actually went to the Rosemont horizon thinking that if we slept out by their box office, we would get better tickets than they would have a Ticketmaster. I don't know what made us think this, but we went and it was freezing. Like, I mean, it was so fucking cold. We, we could, my, I couldn't feel my feet to the point where we actually bought tickets to go in and watch a high school basketball doubleheader just to stay warm. We went, I still have the ticket stuff from that somewhere. We went in and watched this high school basketball doubleheader. And then we came out and we're, and we're trying to like, we're waiting in Eric's car. Then we're going to wait by the box office. And finally a guard is like, Hey man, they're not, don't be here. Like, what do you mean? He's like, he chases us away. So then we go to, uh, flip, was it Rose records or Flipside records? I forget. It might've been the crow's nest to go sleep out with our friends and we go and we meet Jimmy O and those guys and we sleep out in the fucking unbelievable sub-zero weather. And, uh, and I got tickets, you know, and I, I went and saw them twice on that tour. And again, they just, they fucking destroy the place there. They, they had, uh, you know, they had called the diver down tour the hide your sheep tour. Uh, and then this tour, the, 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 the fucking 1984 tour, they, uh, for some reason they had adopted this logo from a, a California, exterminator it was a dude uh, like wagging his finger at a mouse but he had a mallet behind him like he was gonna crush him and they had that stuff on the tour shirts and all over the stages i like it was i don't even know but i remember walking in and i look during the pandemic we're all a little freaked out and we've all forgotten about experiences you remember what a concert was like and i don't mean like i've seen bands in small venues i've seen but i'm talking like an event concert when you would walk in and there was that buzz in the air where everybody was waiting and talking and milling about you're in a, you're in a room with 17,000 like-minded people and they're talking and they're smoking and they're hoping and they're looking and they're thinking and they're waiting and they're all anticipating what it's going to be. And then the lights go out and that fucking roar, that goddamn roar. And, uh, and they tore the place apart. They both, both times I saw them, they were so, they were so good. And, um, you know, I, we know the album. All right. And, and you, like, you, you know, the riffs, like it would, it wouldn't make sense to play Panama for you or, but I, I do, I will play one that, you know, because it is, you know, they put out the video for hot for teacher and to this day, still, in my opinion, top 10 videos of all time, uh, little kid versions of the band. And then the hot women dancing on the, on the fucking desks. I'm, dude, what a fucking video. It was amazing. It, it just, cause it is, is stripped down as the jump video was, uh, then the Panama and the, and the fucking hot for teacher videos, put them over the top with silliness and, and the solo in hot for teacher is, is, 
it's one of my favorites because he just you you <laughs> the song itself is a fucking it's just a, a goddamn dragster and it's roaring from the fucking jump but the solo when he when he kicks into it and the, in the video that's great they show him he's walking down the that really long fucking set of tables and there's that part where it goes bow down 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 and you think it's over and he goes down and it's just it's too good i and and so this is this is always been a solo that fucking completely stayed with me because he's he's just this is a joyful solo in a joyful song I've got it Dude, he's just doesn't it doesn't it give you goosebumps and make you happy and and i i will say this uh i've seen people make fun of dave and i've seen people make fun of you know uh the fact that they went from dave to sam all this bullshit but no one has ever said boy i hate van halen i i, I can't imagine anybody ever saying that because it is this music is just pom-poms and a cheerleader's smile We know the riffs from this album, but I'm going to play two for you now, um, just because if you don't know them, you, you, you know, some people will skip songs, some people will jump and they play just the hits and, and that's fine. And you might just be familiar with the hits, uh, but these are riffs and, and big, big fucking riffs. There's a riff, uh, there's a song called Top Jimmy, which they wrote about a guy uh, who, who was, I guess, a club uh, legend in Los Angeles. And, and the open of it, it's, it's just, again, the, the, both of these, these riffs, are, are harmonics but different kind of harmonics i think i don't know musicians don't fucking scream at me but that's what it seems like to me uh <clears throat> i'm gonna i'm gonna play first we're gonna play top jimmy let's let's fuck it let's just play top jimmy little like waggle that goes into a boogie that and it it that's a perf what a great fucking transition uh and, and then after top jimmy there's a song called girl gone bad uh which again the opening like the little harmonics in in the opening of this ding 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 bow down 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 there's a suddenness there's an urgency to the beginning of this song. Uh, 
down dudes. <laughs> fuck it. I'm not even playing the riff. You just heard me do it verbally mouth style. Uh, fuck it. I'm playing it. So you can see how close I was. God damn this riff. I love it. That, that almost has a uh, <clears throat> an Alex Lifeson feel to it, you know, like a Rush feel. Um, but it's still fucking Eddie. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He could play anything in any style, uh, and and you'll just be like, oh, that's Eddie Van Halen playing Rush, <laughs> and it's perfect. It, it it will always be perfect. So after 1984, there's a there's a, a huge rift. Dave wants to make movies, and and uh, you know, secretly, even though Eddie's wondering about the future of his band, he's got to be thrilled that <laughs> Dave decides on his own to take off, basically. And uh, and so they they probably revisit that idea Eddie had, where he was going to have a different vocalist for every song from Fair Warning. Uh, he also, at this point, Eddie becomes fascinated with Patty Smythe from Scandal, and he and he starts to kind of follow her around on tour, trying to get her to join the band. Uh, and and uh, you know she'll tell the story where he would show up and try to get her. I think he actually joined Scandal on stage a couple of times. Which, by the way, go watch the fucking video for Goodbye to You, and look at those fucking white idiots. Look at those four dopes who look like they should be on a fucking squash tournament and imagine Eddie Van Halen walking out on stage with them and just shredding their fucking brains by playing one solo. How did, how did, man, that's, that's a strong chick to not fucking go. Yeah. You know what I'm in? Fuck these idiots. You know what I mean? She felt this strong loyalty to scandal that she stayed with them, busted out the warrior. And then that was it. Didn't she marry John McEnroe too? Is that still a thing? But, uh, but to turn down Van Halen, man, that must've been. And also probably cause she, she saw them as a, as a, I think she even said, you know, this was a very masculine band and I would have been on the road with these four dudes who I didn't know. And and also, dude, you're walking into David Lee Roth's footsteps. That's got to be fucking terrifying. Uh, and and uh, especially for, and let's just say it, a woman in rock and roll who is, is already done everything she can to smash whatever glass ceiling she's got to get through just to get a fucking recording contract and to be heard. Uh, but then to step into what is a very masculine spot it, it she probably felt like it would be like proving herself all over again. Not that she didn't have any confidence in who she was as a singer and a performer, but if you've already got a solo career that's working, why bother? You know, and, and I respect her for that. Uh, but it didn't stop Eddie from trying. He tried to lure her, lure, lure her into the band. It didn't work. And then he had a conversation with Claudio, his mechanic. Now they both tell the story 
it could just be legend, but it could be something a publicist cooked up. But Eddie would tell it as if it was true. And I, I didn't anticipate Eddie to be a, a, an embellishing guy. And Eddie loves cars, you know, even in Panama that, you know, the song. Hey, yeah, we're running a little bit hot tonight. That's his fucking Lamborghini. Uh, he's just he's just a, a car guy. And I think that has to do with him loving gear. You know, he would pull apart amps, pull apart guitars. I'm sure he was an engine guy. I'm sure he saw and knew everything there was to know about cars. Uh, and also, if you like loud, you're going to like fast. And Eddie loved fucking loud. And so, you know, he absolutely loved fast. Brings his car to his mechanic, Claudio. Claudio, because he's Italian. And they do the impression. Like when you hear Eddie do the impression, he's like, I brought it to Claudio and I, you know, I was going, man, you know, my band, I don't know what's going on. My singer's gone. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. And Claudio goes, why don't you call Sammy? You should call Sammy right now. And Eddie's like, what? And he goes, call Sammy. So, uh, Eddie, uh, uh, you know, his management, they put him in, in touch with Sammy Hagar, who at that time is, you know, he'd been in Montrose and he's a, he's a, a well-established solo star in his own right. He's certainly not Van Halen stratosphere, but He's a guy who consistently sells uh, tickets on the road and he puts out albums. He's he's, uh, you know, if if um, if Dave is a uh, a baked Alaska flaming baked Alaska, uh, Sammy is is a is a hot fudge Sunday. You know what you're getting with Sammy. And uh, and there's nothing wrong with that because he's got the fucking pipes and he can blow the goddamn windows out when he really turns them up at that time. And. So Eddie calls him and they meet and they hang out and they talk cars and then he brings him in to sing and and Sammy's like, well, I just want to impress these fucking guys. And so he he fucking bellows. I mean, he just blasts it. And uh, and if I didn't remember right, they didn't even get the the first time they couldn't do it. And then they, Sammy had to come back. Um, but it worked out. And uh, and Sammy, you know, Sammy was a, a fucking guy who was established. He wasn't going to come in and, and be threatened by Van Halen. And he also wasn't going to try to be a fucking rock star because he understood that he was in the room with a goddamn fucking modern day Mozart. And uh, and he welcomed the opportunity. And and Sammy is I, I think he's a collaborator at heart. You know, he, he really wanted to do it. And so especially with someone who he respected. And this allowed Eddie to explore all of his musical impulses. You know, Dave didn't want him to play keyboards. You're a fucking guitar hero. Well, now Eddie can do whatever the fuck he wants. Now, not like he couldn't before, but, but I wonder if they almost didn't have the, the Roger Daltrey, Pete Townsend fucking angle where Daltrey basically beat up Pete Townsend and said, you're in my band now. Well, if, if Dave was a, a brow beating narcissist who told fucking Eddie, ah, you're not like, you can't do that. You can't do that. And so Eddie would retreat to his room with his vodka and his Coke and he would just play his guitar and be like, yeah, fuck that, man. I'll show those guys. You know I mean? Who knows? Who knows what he was predisposed to do? But regardless, that yoke was off and he would just be able to run free and do whatever the fuck he wanted. And, and it showed, it showed on the first album, you know, they, they put out the first album, 5150 named for the studio and, uh, and they announced themselves immediately. The song good enough has it, 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 Sammy's the first thing you hear. He busts out a hello baby big bopper style and then and then you hear Eddie do the horse noise that wee and and they're off fucking running. Um you know, and and then there's Why Can't This Be Love, there's there's Dreams is a fucking beautiful song, Summer Nights is a great song. It's just it's just a it's just a really good 
rock and roll album that's different but the same. It just it just sounds like Van Halen Mach Two. They're just doing a different thing. I know people call it Van Hagar. I know that, and I I never have. Uh, because the band is fucking Van Halen because that's the man's name. There's a reason it's called Van Halen. All right. Because of Eddie and because of Alex, they're, they're the constants you could put in Gary Cherone. You could be, you could put in Fred Flintstone. You could put in fucking Sammy Hagar. You could put in Sammy Davis fucking junior. The constant in the band is Van Halen. The sound of the drums and the sound of the guitar is the Van Halen sound, the Brown sound, and it was never going anywhere. So I love Sammy. And I, I, I never got hung up on the, the, again, I mentioned before, I don't, I never cared about Van Halen, Van Hagar. Oh no, not this. Oh no, that, um, because it was about Eddie. If Eddie was there, I was in, they, they could have hired you to sing. And I'd have been like, yep, don't care. I just want to hear Eddie and what he's going to do. Just bust out the fucking Frankenstrat and just go to work. And, uh, Oh, you know, I don't even know if I finished that anecdote when I was talking about that. Like he, uh, he, you know, I talk about being compelled to do things and he just, there was no great plan where he's going to brand himself with the, with the pattern on the guitar. He literally would tore it apart and then he put it back together and then he painted it black and he thought that was boring. And so he put the strips of tape all over it and then he painted it and he went, Whoa, that looks cool. That was it. There was, there was no intent to make art. There, there was no intent to trademark a logo. There was no grand master plan where he was like, oh, boy, I'll tell you what, they're gonna, I'm going to blow them away when I do this. No, it was just uh, necessity is the mother of invention. He put stripes on a guitar because he thought it was boring, and he wasn't trying to make art. He just wanted it to look cool, and it fucking did. Uh so 5150 comes out and uh, I actually saw them on that tour. Uh, I only saw them once and I'm angry that I only saw them once because the, the day I saw them, Sammy was sick. Uh, he had, he had some kind of phlegmy bullshit and he could barely sing and they only played about an hour and I was furious about it. It seemed like, uh, oh no, it didn't seem that I was, I'm sorry. It seemed like an hour and I was furious about it. Like, uh, because I know friends who went and saw them like the next night and Sammy was like, ah, oh, I was a little, I was a little sick yesterday, but you guys are going to, we're going to make up for it tonight. And I'm like, you fucking dick. I was there last night, man. Uh, which is funny because I, one of my favorite quotes is from Sammy where he's like, Hey man, I, I bust everything every single night because this is the one time this might be the one time someone gets a chance to see you and you're selling them. You're closing basically every night on somebody. And so you know, I, I respect the fact that they bought tickets and had to pay for a sitter, whatever the fuck they had to do, fight the streets, parking. They left their house to come see me. I'm going to make sure it was fucking worth it. And, uh, you know, the night I saw him, he was sick and whatever the fuck. But uh, again, I love the album and there's, there's chock full of riffs, but you know them, you know, best of both worlds. You probably know the Summer Nights riff. Um, but here's a song that uh, the title track from the album is my favorite song on the album. And, and the riff to, again, it's just, it's such a, <laughs> it's a hook. It's not even just a riff. It's just, it's just a monstrous hook in the, in the thing. And then it, it screams Van Halen because it sounds, you know, the guitar is Eddie. Absolutely. And then it's got this boom, 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 boom with the fucking bass drum. And then the snare starts and you're like, oh, there's Eddie and Alex doing Eddie and Alex again. That's what they do. They do that thing that they always do when they're fucking Van Halen. It's goddamn amazing. Thank you. 
the album comes out and there are people who are critical because of Sammy. They don't like him. He's, he's terrible. He's a meathead. He's not Dave. Uh, and people, because this fucking world is so stupid, they get out the long knives and they try to come for them in the band. And Eddie just wants to make music. And he's happy to be making music with a singer who can do the things he wants him to do and is willing to try the things he wants him to try. And a crazy thing happens. Certainly there's a loud vocal minority of people who are yelling about the band. It's not the same. It's not the same without Dave. And oh my God, how could you possibly move on without Dave? Um, but the album is a fucking monster. And, and they make videos and MTV loves them. And they don't just survive because in this, in this industry, you know, people associate singers with bands, you know, Van Halen is David Lee Roth, you know, they, they, all of that stuff. But, uh, but no, Van Halen is fucking Van Halen for a reason, two reasons, Eddie and Alex. And as I said, it doesn't matter who's singing. Sammy comes in, they're a monster hit. People tried to take them apart. People tried to point, oh no, this isn't the same. You can't do this. It's blasphemy, whatever the fuck. Uh, it doesn't matter. The album's huge. And, uh, and, and find me another band that, that survives the loss, not only survives the loss of a lead singer, but becomes bigger over time. Now, it's, it's hard to be bigger than 1984. That's the biggest band in the world at that point. But they stayed, you know, because the deflation of, of Dave leaving after 1984 would, would kill most bands. They'd be scrambling, whatever the fuck. But these guys just get Sammy and they get better. They, they, they you know what? They become different, better. The, certainly the crazy anything can happen vibe that's there with Dave is different with Sammy with now they, now they become a fucking rock and roll band. You know, they were, they were called a party band with Dave and certainly they become the biggest band in the world, but they're called everybody, you know, they're all oh, the California sound they're the party band, whatever. Well, it's funny when Sammy comes along, they were, they were dismissed as a party band, but now they move past that into becoming a fucking great rock and roll band. Uh, but still a party band. Does that make sense? Uh, Sammy, Sammy's able to play guitar and, and help fill out a sound. Not that Eddie needed it, but he welcomed it. They played some of Sammy's solo stuff. They didn't play any of the Dave solo stuff except jump, which Sammy let the crowd sing. Uh, and I always thought this was a mistake. I was, I was, I understood it, but I mean, Eddie wrote these songs, so they, they should have done them, but, uh, but they they chose not to. And even later, when Dave comes back, they don't do the Sammy songs, which makes sense. They have enough of a catalog with Dave where they don't have to do that. But I would love to have heard right now in later tours. Um, but they get bigger. And then then, then they put out uh, the next album is OU812, which, again, we're starting the... <laughs> The, the unfortunate name, uh, the, the unfortunately named album couplet is coming up. OU812, which has, you know, the first single is Finish What You Started. Well, the first single is Black and Blue. Um, but they don't do a video for that, I don't think. The, the video for Finish What You Started becomes a giant hit. Uh, again, black and white with fucking hot girls. And how are you going to argue that? And then, um, you know, Feels So Good becomes a hit. And uh, there's, but the, but the riff I'm going to play for you. Uh, and, and also when it's love crushes it, it's a, 
that is a goddamn power ballad that just fucking brings the house down. And, um, and they have hits. They have big hits. This album again, fucking charts massively. And, and there's a song called the, the, the album kicks off. My favorite song on the album is a song called mine, all mine. And it's got this weird spacey kind of keyboard thing. And then Eddie comes in with the pick slide, but, uh, it's the solo that grabs me. Uh, because the solo again, it's this, this Sammy's going mine, all mine, all mine, this fucking kind of a, that, that dive bomb type of, but in reverse noise. And then he fucking wails on the solo and it sounds chaotic. It sounds kind of like he's rampage because the song's moving at a good clip and he's keeping right up with it. And then right at the end of the solo, Eddie, he does this little turn and he plays just this. It's this melodic. It goes this little sweet, like 10 note run that closes this chaotic solo and brings us right back to the song. And it is absolutely my favorite moment on the album. And it's, I remember listening to it. Uh, it was a, it was a Balsitas moment. It was me and my buddy, Brian Racine. I should mention Brian because when, when 5150 comes out, uh, I had heard, why can't this be love on the radio? That was the first single they released. And then when the album itself comes out, Brian comes to my house with 5150 and we sit in my, my parents driveway and we listen to the album twice back and forth, uh, just in on cassette in his car because <laughs> we wanted to hear it together. And, uh, oh my Christ, man, uh, just, just crazy experiences. So the same thing with mine, all mine, when OU812 comes out, I'm listening to it with Brian and that solo plays. And then the band, that little, t- little run, we both just kind of like, Oh no, it's, it's. It's just so fucking sweet and so Edward. Uh, God, I love it. So, so here's here's the the solo from Mine All Mine. I should also tell you this. Uh, when I'm listening with Brian to OU812, it's on the phone because I'm gone. I'm I'm now in, in Lake Tahoe when that album comes out. And uh, I mentioned those moments where when you hear Van Halen, you know it's them. I'm working in a pizza restaurant. Twice this has happened to me. I'm working in a pizza restaurant and I hear the first chord of Black and Blue and I go, what the fuck? Because again, you didn't know when albums were coming out. So I hear it and I know it's him. I know it's Eddie. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I go and listen real quick and I turn it up and, uh, and I hear black and blue on the radio for the first time. And it's like, holy fuck, their new album's coming out. What the hell? Uh, I see them in Reno on that tour and they fucking again there. And that's, that might be peak of their powers, Van Halen, because they were so, they were still happy with Sammy, still comfortable. Everything was great. Um, 
so good and and uh but yeah i i'm on the phone with brian listen to fucking oh you wait when two and we hear the mine all mine solo and that's so i, I should say so i actually listened to, to two albums on the phone and had two what re- revealing moments um the other moment i had is when is when uh fucking balance comes out which is is much later uh i'm working in a pizza place and i hear uh the guitar for don't tell me what love can do the the riff for that and it uh it stops me in my tracks i'm i'm washing dishes i'm washing dishes in a kitchen in a loud fucking pizza kitchen with everything and i'm i'm elbow deep in fucking getting the dishes done and trying to get the fuck out of there and i hear the gunk, 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 the fucking riff and I just, and I laugh and I go, what the fuck? And I run over to turn the radio up and I stand there for six minutes or whatever fuck and listen to the song because I was not about to be deterred. Uh, <laughs> should I play? Maybe I'll play that riff later because it's just, again, the second you hear it, you're like, yeah, no, that's fucking, that's Eddie. Um, so, oh, you went when two is a big hit. I see that. So I'm in Reno. I see them in Reno, uh, with, with my friends, Katie and, and Candy and, and, uh, you know, they're so good. Um, and then in, in 91 for unlawful carnal knowledge comes out and now I'm in LA doing stand up and, uh, same deal where you, you don't know it's coming out. You had no idea. And then you hear, uh, pound cake on the radio. Now you probably know pound cake, but it's, um, I, I'm going to play the riff for you cause you have to, because it's Eddie with the fucking power drill uh playing playing this opening part of the song and then kicking into Eddie and then you hear this fucking Alex sledgehammer drum hits you right in the goddamn chest and Eddie does the pick slides and uh and you're off to the goddamn races man it is just it is quintessential and then you see that not only does he have the power drill but the power drill has the fucking Frankenstein pattern on it the red white and black stripes god damn it now i gotta be honest with you i don't think that was an accident not like the guitar i think they made the drill look like that on purpose uh but man this this riff to pound cake is ridiculous That might be the ultimate Van Halen run that sounds like Van Halen. You want you want to see something cool? Fucking find the uh, they did that at the MTV Video Music Awards in 1991, I think it was. Arsenio Hall introduces them. It's it's so 90s, but it's uh, you know Van Halen, Sammy. He fucking yells at him, uh, but they destroy it. Sammy sounds fucking amazing. Eddie's so good. And again, that just that opening riff might be the ultimate Van Halen riff where you're like, oh yeah, no, that's them. But again, you can you could say that about all of them. You can say that about everything they've done. Everything Edward has done is just it's just him. As he said before, I can't be anybody but me. And that's an incredible gift to have. I don't get to see them on that tour. I don't see them on fuck because honestly I'd moved to LA and I was still trying to fucking do stand up and I had no money. They put out a live album after that, which uh, I wasn't a fan of, quite frankly, um, because they do a Who song on it. It's so funny. Like, I can't even I can't even be bothered to worry about the rest of the album 
uh, because they do Won't Get Fooled Again. And that was like the first single they released from the live album. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Why would you release a Who song? I was pissed. Um, even Sammy's like, this is from the Who. And I'm like, so what? I don't give a fuck. Play, play, play a Sammy song. Play a, you have a catalog. There's no reason to play a Who song. But I, I, let's put it this way. You can play a Who song live because they used to do, like when I saw them on the Diver Down tour, they mixed in I'm So Glad into I'm, I'm pretty sure it was into somebody get me a doctor they played a chunk of i'm so glad by cream uh because eddie loved clapton so much but but i don't know it just seemed weird to put it out on a fucking live album and then release it to radio i was like what the fuck are you doing so the next the next album is balance which i just talked about and uh and balance i i have to admit in 95 i'm now uh i still love them they're still my favorite band but i'm i'm now listening to pearl jam a lot uh you know, I'm, I'm list, I've listened to, I've been listening to Nirvana, but I mean, they're gone, obviously. But, but, um, Tool has arrived, you know, where I'm listening to them a lot. And, uh, and Balance comes out and I listen to, and, and look, I, I've gone and revisited Balance. And I was, uh, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, again, I love all the stuff Eddie does on it, but I just, it just seemed, it almost seemed like they were just kind of, there's, they've lost, uh, it, when I first heard it, I thought, oh, well, they've lost. This seems like they just needed to put out an album almost, even though there's, there's great songs. Fucking feeling is a great song. Uh, can't stop loving you is the single, which is, which is really good. And then not enough is gorgeous. These are, these are beautiful songs. It's just, it, it was a departure from what they had been doing. And it, and also I, my taste had changed a little bit to where I was like, oh, well, Eddie still fucking rocks. Uh, but don't tell me what love can do is still a just a massive fucking this this riff alone this is the one i heard when i was in the in in elbow deep in dishwater and i heard it from across the fucking room and i still was like what my world stopped no matter no matter what i wound up thinking of this album uh and i upon revisiting it i do like it more than i did when it first came out but when i heard this riff it it stopped my fucking world because it's goddamn Eddie Van Halen. It's okay. I do what I want if I choose. I can take the ball as a choice. It's my destiny in my hands Yeah, it's up to me I can drive I can shoot a gun in the streets Stop me, stop me, heroin I can jump Feel a sacrifice Bear the cross Just like Jesus Christ And I <laughs> that's that's Eddie and Alex and Sammy being Eddie and Alex and fucking Sammy. And then again, that, that opening riff, but then that switch. Uh, and then the big chorus, Eddie loves a big chorus, man. There's a song called humans being that they put out on the, on the best of, oh no, it was on the, it was on the greatest hits album uh, that came after this. And the chorus, the shine on shine on it's, it's just 
this big they love big Eddie loves a big chorus and a big hook and that's that's why he's not just some fucking death metal weedle wheel guitarist that's why he's not just fucking flash he writes hooks he writes riffs he's he's a fucking rhythm monster he's just he's goddamn Eddie so uh so balance I don't know I don't know it doesn't it doesn't do good uh, and then there's problems in the band. Then rumor comes up that they're getting rid of Sammy. And then the story floats that they might get Dave back, which makes no sense to anybody, but they're not sure. Because well, here's, I will tell you this too. Uh, David Lee Roth was a huge influence on me language-wise. Uh, you know, the way he talks, the way, just I, I found him fascinating. Still do, quite frankly. But also he can be a fucking jag off. I mean, he can be just a fucking corny idiot. And you're like, ah, oh, Jesus, what the fuck? Uh, so the funny thing is he leaves the band after 1984 to go make movies. He's going to go be a movie star. He's going to make crazy from the heat. He's going to do all these different things. And, uh, what does he do? He forms a band and he gets Steve Vai to play guitar and Billy Sheehan on bass because he knows he's got to compete with Van Halen and he can't compete with fucking Van Halen, but he's going to do the best he possibly can. And he puts out a fucking amazing for me, a first album with Steve Vai and Billy Sheehan. And then the second album, uh, Vai and Sheehan are on the album, but then Sheehan bails before the tour. Um, and and so Dave just just you want to laugh all right not even laugh um, imagine again Dave left to be this big superstar. Go to Spotify and look at Van Halen's top streamed songs, okay. Uh, and then go to David Lee Roth solo and look at his top stream songs. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that's a, ju- a judgment of quality. I'm not saying that that tells you who's better or who's best. Uh, but I'm telling you that Dave made a fucking wrong decision and. And maybe like like a shooting star that burns out upon reentry, maybe they needed to only make six albums. Maybe they couldn't have been magic on a seventh. I don't know. Or do I? Was that disproven later? We'll see. So it's true. After balance, uh, they bring back Dave. They do a cataclysmically disastrous appearance at the MTV Video Music Awards where they go to give an award. Eddie doesn't even look like he wants to be on the stage because just before they went out, uh, Dave started doing Dave stuff and Eddie remembered, oh yeah, I hate this fucking guy for a reason. Um, And they walk out and Dave, of course, steals the spotlight, puts his hands in the air. He's just like, yeah, and he, and, and. The day Eddie wants to hide. He looks like he wants to crawl into a hole on the stage. And they put out a greatest hits album, which has both both Sammy and Dave songs on it. But it has three new songs. It has uh, it has the song Humans Being, as I mentioned from Sammy. But then it has Me Wise Magic, which they release as a single with Dave, uh, which I I don't love. I don't know why that was the choice of the single, because there's another song wait is humans being on this it might not be it might be on best of both worlds but they uh no i think it's on this greatest hits album but then they put out uh like i said three new songs and me wise magic is one of them which i don't care for humans being is amazing but then uh there's a song called can't get this stuff no more and and i hear this i you know i'm living in naperville at the time i'm living with um my fiance, Karen. And uh, 
I, this song, I, I grabbed, I get it, of course, the day it comes out, and I listen to, to I immediately go to the new songs. I mean, I, I know the greatest hits, but the, I love the Sammy Humans being, but then, then dudes, I hear Can't Get This Stuff No More, and because I didn't like Me Wise Magic on the radio, because Dave is trying to, Dave's vocals have been shot for a while. It's, it's, he has to sing in a certain range, or it just, it just sounds like uh, somebody caught a raccoon in a bear trap and, and won't free them. I mean, it's sometimes he sounds awful. Uh, I actually turned on him on this show. I think when I saw them in 2007, because he was trying so hard and, and just, I thought he was dragging everybody down. It was like, what are you doing? But anyway, he, they put out, can't get this stuff no more on this album. And it, it gets no notice, but I hear it. And I'm like, instantly it's one of my favorite Van Halen songs, period. It sounds like it could have fit on, on fair warning. It sounds like it could have been on women and children first. And the sentiment in it is, uh, is I, I always think Dave writes, uh, you know, some true life stuff into his songs. He writes a lot of bananas couplets, but at the same time, he, uh, the, basically, he, um, the, the, you know, the, the phrasing of it is like, how many times can somebody lie, uh, when you're for your patience to run its course, keep it in mind when we say goodbye, cause you can't get this stuff no more. And it sounds like a, a kiss off to Eddie, even in this song where he's supposed to be being welcomed back. Now, I'm projecting, certainly, but it just made me laugh that he wrote a song about somebody who lies over and over. And that was the song they chose to do. And it's also the best fucking song on the album. It's great. And uh, and uh, I, I won't play the whole thing, but 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 the opening riff is is magic. And then it's got this kind of like it's got a strut to it. This song has a real fucking strut to it. Um Put it on. I, de- I defy you to listen to this, and uh, if you're walking, and not fall in time with the beat. You heard a little Dave there, and that's the range he should be singing in. Because when he's in that range, it's great. On Me Wise Magic, he's just fucking yowling. When Dave just sings with that growl, uh, you know, almost Tom Waits style, a little lower register, he can do anything you want him to do. But when he tries to push it and and go back to the yells and shit that he did when he was a kid, it just, it's not there. Doesn't stop him from trying. Um. So they put this album out and then the Dave thing falls apart <laughs> because Eddie is like, oh, yeah, that fucking guy. I hate that guy. And they decide not to do it. And now we enter. Uh, well, actually, uh, not yet. We, 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 um, we move on from Dave and Eddie, uh, as I said, famously, you know, he doesn't do solo stuff. He's he's in a band. He's in a band called Van Halen. That's him. That's his band. And so he hires a new lead singer. 
for an album called Van Halen three. And I, when they announced it, I was like, what the fuck? Like I, cause again, I thought they were going to be with Dave and then they weren't. And then they announced that they're going to work with extreme singer, Gary Cherone or Gary Cherone. And, uh, again, as I've mentioned before, I'm excited because it's Eddie. If Eddie's doing music, I'm on board. I don't, I don't give a fuck who he has the corpse of Pavarotti drag him out there. I'm sure Eddie can work with him something. I'm, I'm good with it. And, uh, at this time also, I think they, they had talked about having Mike Malloy in the band, uh, a singer. I think that's around this time, but they wind up getting Chiron and they get him in the band and, uh, Van Halen three comes out and, uh, uh, it's, this is 1998. I believe it comes out early in the year. And I, I had just moved to LA in October of 97 and I grabbed the album and I hear it at my house. And then my brother Lenny lives in Chicago at the time. And I call him and I'm like, did you get the new album? And he says, no. And he and I listen, I play it. I hold my phone out and I play Van Halen three for Lenny over the phone. He and I hear it. And uh, after every song we talk and we get, and we go back and forth. Oh my God. So this is the second time I'm listening over the phone uh, to an album <laughs> with somebody. Uh, but I didn't care because that's how excited I was. That's how I, and, and again, as I've told you before, there were people who were like, Oh my God, this, cause look, and I will tell you this, by the way, the Van Halen three album has the worst cover you'll ever see in your life. It is, it looks like somebody photoshopped a stock photo in a, in a ridiculous fashion, almost a, as a taunt, like we don't need any cool album covers. And this is coming off, uh, the balance cover, which was so fucking disturbing and weird. Then they just went, ah, fuck this. It, it, it just, it almost looked like they gave up. You know what I mean? Like the album cover is so terrible. Um, but the album opens with an instrumental, like an Eddie instrumental that goes into the, what was the first single, a song called without you, which is a goddamn jam. But I will say this on this album, Eddie's Eddie's all of the songs are, are over five minutes, some over six, some over seven, some over eight. And it's because he has so much music in him at this time. And he's trying to kind of chase the dragon a little bit and put this stuff out. And, you know, he hasn't put out a new album since 95. So this is 98. Uh, Without you is fucking amazing. Uh, And I I will tell you this again. I like balance Uh, balance. When it first came out, I was indifferent, but now I like it. This album, when it first came out, I was like, I really like this. I dug it. I, I was okay with it. Um, the song one I want is a great song. Dirty water dog, uh, ballad or the bullet fire in the hole was, was used in lethal weapon fucking 80. I don't know which fucking one it was. Um, year to the day is a fucking monster and it's, it's almost nine minutes long and it's, it's just Chiron blowing the fucking microphone out singing. And then Eddie, you know, it's, it's like everything Eddie wanted to do. This is Eddie's indulgent album. Uh, and I think that might be tied into the fact that he's a bit more indulgent in his personal life, but we'll get to this in a second. So, uh, but this album comes out and, and if you haven't heard it, listen, you should, uh, because it's still Eddie and it's still Alex. And, uh, and there's a beautiful, there's, there's several really nice pieces on here, but dude, there's a, there's a song called Josephina. And again, you, you compare this riff to the riff from don't tell me what love can do compare it to the riff from from fucking hear about it later which is so clean and then this is so perfect and unchained which is so dirty this is listen to how clean again i i say like a bell uh this song this song sounds like um it sounds like cold water tastes 
just the opening of this song and uh he just he just is magic This album bombs. <laughs> People were not ready to accept uh, Gary Sharon and the band. Uh, meathead fans of Van Halen considered him a pussy. This is all documented and true. I don't know why. Uh, Sammy fans felt betrayed by Eddie's relationship falling apart. Um, fans are fickle and fans are tricky. And, you know, if you're a fan of Sammy, you're going to be pissed at Eddie. And a lot of fans of Eddie were mad at Sammy and I, whatever. I, I, I never gave a fuck about any of that. Like I said, I wanted new music from Edward. If he put out a solo album, I would listen. If he and Alex just wanted to jam, I'd fucking listen. But my opinion was not shared. (laughs) And this album fucking tanked to the point where I saw this tour on the 4th of July in San Bernardino at what I call the Hills have eyes pavilion. And it was with my friends, uh, Pat Francis and Jimmy Pardo. And here's how, how low things had sunk. We, uh, we weren't planning on going. We thought about it. Possibly we were, we were maybe 4th of July. We're at a party or at a picnic, you know, a cookout at my friend, Paul Gil Martin's house. And then in the middle of the day, uh, by the way, I leave my wife behind for this, by the way, cause I'm a genius. Um, we just decide we're going to go. We're going to take the run and go up there. Do you know why we went? Because we had free tickets from a gas station. That's how bad it was. Uh, this, this was the death rattle for the band, essentially, up to that point. The, the free tickets from a gas station, we get there. Uh, the band is playing, and you know we got there right. It had already started. <laughs> And because we were looking at this and, and I, as much as I loved them, I was a little weirded out about going and cause I didn't, I didn't want this just in case this was it. I didn't want them with Sharon to be my last memory. Does that sound strange? But I went and, uh, you know, Eddie, Eddie sounded like Eddie. The, the, there was Van Halen sounded like Van Halen but it seemed like karaoke Van Halen because Chiron, as good as his voice was, as as great a singer as he could be, he just didn't fill the shoes, man. He he didn't. He wasn't Sammy, and he wasn't Dave, and people were going to crucify him for that. And and uh, people were booing when I saw he would, he would reach out to the crowd and like kind of point and people boot. Like it was almost like people got free tickets from the gas station just to go to let Gary Sharon know that he was not welcome in this band. It was depressing. I can't imagine what Eddie felt on this tour. Uh, and later it's funny, 
they asked Eddie about Sharon, and he's like, well, you know what? We were getting ready to go on the road. Like, he loved what, what, what Gary could do in the studio, and then they're getting ready to go on the road, and he sees, like, Sharon wearing, like, a clown outfit, essentially, like a, a shirt with a gigantic collar and silver pants, and Eddie's like, well, what's this? He goes, oh, it's one of my stage outfits. And Eddie said, I knew then that we weren't going to work out. <laughs> Still went on tour. And you know what's funny? Hearing that later, I actually can can backtrack it and make it work in my head with the 4th of July show because that's another thing. There was no interaction. There was no like, you know, with Sammy and Dave and, and Mike, they all looked like they loved each other. You know, they and, and Eddie and Sammy and Dave and Sam, they would all interact and it was a band. With Sharon, it really felt like Van Halen was playing and someone had won a contest to sing for them. As as good as what I think the music might be on the album, live it did not work at all. So now uh, we enter in, into what can be called the, the lost period, <laughs> the dark period for, for, Van, for Eddie. Um, after Van Halen 3, you know, this is a guy, as, we, as he, I told you, has he ever gone solo? Nah, man, I'm in a band. Well, now, this band is not really a band. Now it's him and Alex and Mike and no singer and no idea what to do. And Eddie starts to slip. Uh, his demons get the best of him. He starts to drink more. He's on drugs. He starts to uh, starts to hang out with a really weird crowd. I think Valerie divorces him around this time. Um, you know, he's his son, Wolf. He's still a great father to his son, Wolf, and he loves Valerie. But I don't think they even stopped loving one another. I think she just was like, yeah, no, I, I can't handle this anymore. And uh, and Ed drifts. He starts hanging out with porn stars. He scores a porn movie around this time. Uh, and he starts to appear in public looking not great. Like his teeth are all messed up, which is, you know, from years of fucking drug use or whatever his, uh, he's, he grows his hair wild and doesn't take care of it. He has like a fucking samurai top knot. Uh, every time you see him, he's wearing shoes with massive holes in them. He's got no shirt on, uh, his jeans don't fit. He loses a ton of weight. He he looks, he looks like an addict and, uh, he, you know, music is, is why he's alive. So what they do is they, they, they saw putting Sharon in the band didn't work. And so they get Sammy back. They wind up getting Sammy back on board. They put out another greatest hits called best of both worlds, which has, uh, you know, the, <laughs> it's got stuff from Dave and stuff from Sammy. And then it's got three new songs. Um, one of which isn't bad. Uh, there's a song though, that's called up for breakfast. That is like the most embarrassing fucking thing you'll ever hear in your life. It's so terrible. Um, but it's got, uh, it's got a song called it's about time, which actually isn't, isn't bad. And it's, it's cause it's Eddie, you know what I mean? You hear Eddie and whatever, but up for breakfast, the, the fucking lyrics are all like, uh, can't wait to put my sausage in your biscuits and gravy, bit dear. Uh, it's so garbage. It's so terrible. And then they tour behind this and I see this tour and this is the low point. Um, Eddie is so addled that it's affecting his guitar playing. Now that's the one thing that had never been affected. You know, they'd been on the road forever. They'd been, I'm sure he was drunk or high, but he was always Eddie. 
and he was he was that guitar was was a third arm and he could do whatever he wanted with it. It was like it's like Doc Ock in the Spider-Man comic books. Like he just turns his head and all eight arms do whatever they're fucking told. Well, that's how his hands worked with the guitar. And this night it just wasn't happening. He stumbles and falls at one point. Uh, I'm and I'm incredibly sad. Uh, he goes for the solo and, you know, he plays his, the he plays some of Spanish fly and kind of chili dips it a little bit. And, and he plays he tries to play a song called Women in Love. Which uh, which is I used to <laughs> I used to have it on my answering machine, the opening riff. Uh, it's this like little harmonic run. And it's beautiful. It's just a beautiful piece of music. And Eddie tries to play it once and he can't play it. And if he could have improvised, like if he wasn't so fucking incapacitated, he probably could have improvised it into something else. Like, oh, I just played the first three notes to tantalize you and now watch this. But you can actually see the thought process in his head of, oh man, why can't I play this? And then he tries to play it again. And he messes it up again. And then he just moves on and does, you know, eruption, which is a part of his fucking DNA at this point and cathedral and all the stuff that he usually does. But but he tried to throw in women in love and it and he couldn't play it. And I was fucking heartbroken. Uh, absolutely the low point. So then I, st- I start, you know, then he, he gets he winds up getting tongue cancer it has to have a chunk of his tongue removed. And, I, and now I'm like, oh, man, what's what the fuck is going to happen here? I don't even know. And then he meets uh, this woman, Janie. And she says, we're putting you in rehab and you're doing it right. And, uh, you know, he 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 goes to rehab. Uh, and and I'm I'm not sure about the timeline, but I will say this: when Janie puts him in rehab, it sticks, and he he realizes that that uh, you know he needs to get clean, he needs to fix this, and he does, and then he he comes out of it ready to make more music, and then like the man says, Nah, man, I'm in a band, and so he he decides that he's going to make music with Van Halen again and he fires Mike and he puts Wolfie in the band. Now I should tell you this on the night that he was all falling on himself, he couldn't play women in love. He brought Wolfie out. And uh, at the time, you know, Wolfie's just a fucking little chubby kid. He's probably 12 or whatever. And, you know, fans are, are furious that, that he's there because fans, fans are terrible. They're just terrible people. All of you, you too. <laughs> yes, you, <laughs> me too sometimes um and uh and now he reforms van halen but this time he fires mike he brings back dave and then wolf is the bass player and again fans are furious because they think he's doing mike wrong and they're upset but they're happy dave's there it's a weird thing these fucking meatheads they can't decide if they're mad or they're happy they're like well dave's back awesome but no mike boo and they you know because people they think they can tell somebody what to do, but what they don't understand, and this is totally, this is completely true. Eddie Van Halen went to rehab and he got clean and he decided to put his band back together with his son because he wanted to play music with his son. If he doesn't put Wolf in the band, he doesn't tour. If he doesn't 
get to play with his brother and his son. There is no Van Halen at that point. That was always the plan for him was he was going to have Wolf in the band. He wanted to play with Wolf. He got sober to play with Wolf. If you know, these people are like, well, they should, they did Mike wrong. They should bring Mike back, dude. They're never bringing Mike back. And, and honestly, a lot of water has completely passed under that bridge because Eddie said some fucking terrible things about Mike. I, I don't like that. I don't know if they're true or they're not true. Eddie could be a petty dude. Eddie could say, you know, he said some shit about Dave. He said shit about Sammy. Uh, he seemed unassuming and cool, but when he had mad and he got mad, he'd, he'd hold grudges forever. You know, he was, he was still mad at Ted Templeman for not letting certain takes get into albums. And that's why he built 5150 <laughs> insane. Right. But that's, that's, you give genius a ton of rope. So, uh, so he forms the band with Wolf and people are pissed. But again, like I said, if, if, if Wolf's not in the band, you're not getting Van Halen. It's not going to happen. I see them in 2007 with Dave and Wolf and, uh, and Dave is a fucking whiff. He's trying way too hard, but it doesn't matter because all I can watch is Eddie and Alex and Wolf and how unbelievably happy they are to be playing together and to watch Wolf grow as a performer and to hear Wolf's harmonies and to see Wolf play and, and see Eddie beaming, staring at him from across the fucking stage constantly. He was so incredibly happy to be on stage with his son. Never mind back on stage, never mind back with his band. Certainly he loves playing with Alex, but to be standing there and I, and I can't imagine what it's like to be Wolf. This kid has been on stage since he's 11, being brought out by, by his dad and, and he has to share his dad with the world. His dad is basically a God in some people's eyes and certainly in their chosen industries. And then you decide to follow in his footsteps. But then it turns out that, that Wolf is, is just Eddie. He can play anything he wants. He can play drum. He can play bass. He can play guitar. He can play fucking keyboards and piano. He's I don't know if he's also an autodidact. I don't know if he can read music. I don't know if he has to cheat and look at fingers, but, but Wolf is his father's son. And you could see how unbelievably proud of him Eddie was every time they'd take a, the fucking stage together. And in 2007, you could see him. He'd walk over and kind of smile at him. And I can't imagine the joy in that moment for both of them, for Alex too. Uh, and then people clamor for new music, but they don't have new music. But then there's a rumor, uh, a few years later that they're going to have new music or they're going to put out an album or they're going to do this. And then in 2012, they put out, uh, the album, a different kind of truth with Dave Wolf, Alex and Eddie. And, uh, <laughs> This this album um, winds up being their last album, and for me, it is it is top three. It it is phenomenal. It it I don't. First of all, let's let's talk about this. All right, the songs on this album are a lot of songs that Eddie had written earlier in his career, and he winds up stripping them for parts and repurposing the pieces into these songs. Um, there's a song called uh, Big River 
on this album. And, uh, and, and that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's a very good song, but it's a song called big trouble from, I have a, I have a demo by Van Halen called, called zero. And, uh, they had a song called big trouble, but then they remake it into Dave rewrites lyrics and they call it big river. Um, she's the woman survives from their first fucking thing. Uh, you'd, I, you'd have to hear them back to back and I'm not going to, I won't subject you to that, but these, the album, it doesn't matter, but because people bitch about it again, everybody's looking for something to bitch about. Oh man, these are, these are riffs that were from before that he's in unreleased demos, blah, blah. Fuck you, man. Eddie wrote it. It's still Eddie fucking Van Halen. It's still Alex. It's still stuff they created. And now they've repurposed it and turned it into an unbelievable fucking album. This is this album comes out in 2012. Okay, Eddie's 55 at the time, and and he's never been more aggressive. This this is this is fucking fair warning levels of aggression on this album because it fucking rocks. Because he's reinvigorated. He is made young again by playing with his son. And he's creating with his family and, and it shows in every fucking note on this album. And again, the curse of Van Halen for me, they release a song called tattoo. That's the first single. And I have to admit, I heard it and I'm like, I'm glad they're making new music. I'm glad that, that Dave's not trying to hit the fucking wall, but I'm like, this is an okay song, but Eddie sounds really good in it. They sound good. And then I get the album. My buddy Pat gets it early. He's like, you got to hear this. I fucking put it in the car. I drive home. And by the time I get to my house, I'm like, what the fuck? Because Tattoo's the opening single, which is fine, I listen to it, but then, then She's the Woman hits, You and Your Blues is an unbelievable song, but then there's a song called Chinatown. Chinatown is is just a, it's just a fucking gut punch. I mean, it is it is a fucking dragster that's out of control, driving through the fucking crowded streets of some Grand Prix, and you can't stop it, and it just, it's fucking bellowing downhill it's so good and eddie's riffs amazing and dave's keeping up and fucking it's and the rhythm section of wolf and alex is just it's just fucking gorgeous and it has a solo i hear it it comes out of my car and i lose my mind i'm like what the fuck is this and i crank it it's super fucking loud and then the solo starts and eddie again you want to talk about aggression in a solo it's just like it's it's so fucking amazing and then the solo ends i'm pulling i'm literally pulling into my carport as the, it, the solo hits and he's playing. It's like he's this big squeal. Wee, wah, wah, and he plays. And then it, it, it's like, dee, 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 dee. and then the fucking, it goes. And there's this, this beat. And I just go, <laughs> I couldn't help it. it. It was, it made me so fucking happy this it sounds like a video game it's a noise from space i don't know where it came from and i'm used to eddie making crazy fucking noises on his guitar but i mean it just it sounds like it sounds like sonic the hedgehog is running away from somebody it's it's brilliance and and the whole song is great the whole album is fucking incredible but i'm gonna i'm i'm just gonna play you this fucking solo and listen to this final the fucking last noise it's it's Again, it is straight out of PlayStation fucking.
That's the noise I made when that fucking ended. God damn it. Out of nowhere. So fucking incredible. Uh, and, and what, what a fantastic album, all of it beginning to end tattoo, hmm, a little iffy, but the rest of it, holy shit. It's all fucking great. How many bands at, at, at 55, how many bands, uh, 35 years into their career can put out one of their best albums? (laughs) I, I, uh, uh, Jesus. So it's incredible and I love it. I love it. And I see them on that tour. Uh, I get to see them in 2015 with um, Jill. Uh, she gets me tickets as a birthday present and we're going to see them in Pennsylvania. We're going to spend a week on the road and we're seeing them the day before my birthday in 2015, which is... Again, still one of the best birthday presents I've ever received in my life. And and she knew how much I loved them. And, and, and she had never seen them. So I have to admit, I was a little... I was excited for her to see them. But also, I didn't know... Because, you, you, you know, Dave is Dave. I, I knew the band was going to be the band because I had seen them in 2007. So now we're looking at, you know... Oh I, oh, I should tell you this, too. In between, when the different kind of truth thing happened... Uh, I went down to Hollywood Boulevard to see them. They did a thing for Jimmy Kimmel and me and Pat went down there and they played, uh, they played Panama and they, and, and they played on Hollywood Boulevard to like thousands of people. I couldn't even tell you how many I, you'd have to get a shot from a helicopter. We were shoulder to fucking shoulder and we couldn't move. And we stayed down there for like six hours and it was beautiful. It, it reminded me of being a kid and sleeping out for tickets. And then they came out and fucking Eddie shredded and it was so great. So great. And then this show in 2015, Jill went on the, we, we went together and, uh, man, she looked amazing. She wore this little dress and, and I, uh, I looked really good and it, it just, um, it was in an outdoor arena in Pennsylvania. And, uh, I, I was excited, but also that thing where I'm trepidatious and, and look, I was like that with Jill a lot. Like I'd, things I loved, I wanted to expose her to. And one of the first things I ever did, she hated. And I was like, Oh, you, you do that flinching thing where you're like, Oh man, well, I, now I don't want to share anything that I love, you know, <laughs> because what if she hates it? What if it's not good? What if she doesn't like it or, you know, um, but truth be told, I should have not taken that. To heart. I should have been happy that she was willing to be honest with me about what she liked and what she didn't like. But, but also at the same time, it would have been cool if she liked it rather than telling me, yeah, no, eh, whatever. <laughs> so I was hoping, cause again, there, cause look, if she, if she was going to rip Van Halen, we pr- I probably would have left her in fucking Pennsylvania at that point. I would have bailed. <laughs> I would have been done a year earlier than I was, um, which would have sucked. But the trip was, you know, we, we, we get to this fucking stadium and I, I still have photos where we look great. And, uh, and, and the show starts and, the, and it's so funny. Like there was a dude in front of us, this white guy who was dancing and he kept hopping from seat to seat. And he was, and it was that thing where I wanted to get mad at it, you know, but at the same time I wanted to enjoy the fucking show and I wanted to make sure Jill was having a good time. And I wanted her to like the thing that I've loved my entire fucking life. And on this particular tour, Again, because Eddie loves playing with Wolf. He told Wolf, he's like, you pick the set list. I don't care. You, you, you pick the set list. And, 
And so, and Wolf did, and Wolf picked songs that they had never played live, like Drop Dead Legs off 1984. Uh, Wolf picked a song called In a Simple Rhyme, which I played for you earlier. They had never played that live, and and it started, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, I, I was so happy, because these are these are deep cuts that I've always wanted to hear them do and play live, and, and, and Eddie delivered on every single one of them. He crushed. They opened with... Light up the sky off Van Halen too, which I used to I used to drop the needle on every night before I went to sleep. They open with that and they explode. They explode on stage. Uh and and then they're off and goddamn running. They they we get Romeo Delight. We get fucking Everybody Wants Some. We get Drop Dead Legs. We get Feel Your Love Tonight off the first fucking album, which is another riff that I goddamn love that I didn't get to play for you guys. Uh, they play She's the Woman. He plays Chinatown, and he fucking he fucking crushes the solo that you just heard and nails it and makes the noise, and I watch his hands, and I'm staring, and I'm trying to figure out how he fucking does it, and I'm, I'm gone. I'm floating. I'm... I got my arms around her and I'm watching the stage and she's enjoying it. That's the best part is she loved it because they were great. I don't know if they've, I don't know if I'd ever seen them be better. I have to be honest, even on 1984 peak of their powers, even on diver down this, this was an unbelievably comfortable and, and skilled Eddie Van Halen playing with his son and his, and his uncle and, and the three of them, not Eddie's uncle uh, at Wolfie's uncle and the three of them combined are just, they're just a fucking, uh, they're, they're just like, like raining blows upon you. Like the three of them are this rock and roll fucking Voltron and they combine and, and crush you. And Dave does great. He doesn't freak out and push himself. He doesn't, he's not trying to steal the show. He's just, they were so good. It was, it was beautiful. They were so good. We get little guitars. We get Dance the Night Away. We get Beautiful Girls, like I said, in a simple rhyme. They play Dirty Movies. Dirty Movies off of fucking Fair Warning. Songs again that I'd never heard. And then uh, probably two-thirds of the way through the show, Eddie's there. And you know every song ends. And again, they have these amazing endings. And the place is going insane. And Jill's loving it. And I'm I'm... I'm beaming because almost I'm almost proud of them because I'm happy that she's seeing them be at their best, and uh, and it made it that much more special to be sharing it with with someone and and they were absolutely fucking a freight train. They were a freight train. You want to talk about Godzilla rising from the ocean? That whole night, they were over two hours. Imagine if Godzilla rose from the ocean for two fucking hours. Imagine if Tora Tora, which I played earlier, lasted for two fucking hours. The anticipation of it, waiting for the payoff, and and they did. They rose from the ocean and terrorized fucking Pennsylvania, Tokyo that night. And and two thirds of the way through, Eddie's on stage, and Wolf comes over to him and kind of leans his head on his shoulder. Standing behind him, puts his head on his dad's shoulder, and his dad plays the opening chords of Women in Love. Which I don't know if I mentioned is is Valerie's favorite Van Halen song. And it's the song that I saw him not be able to play 
and try and and not be able to play twice on stage and and wolf has put it in the set list because it's his mom's favorite song and and with his son behind him with his head on his shoulder Eddie Van Halen plays it perfectly absolutely perfectly and and I'm choked up now I was choked up then and I'm and I'm with <laughs> someone who I I don't want to be sobbing in front of so I kind of try to hide my face and and um it was it was powerful. I I know it sounds strange that you would be at a rock and roll show and there would be a powerful emotional moment, but the connection I had made with that song because I loved it anyway. Because Van Halen Two is the first album I heard, and Women in Love I would play over and over, and I I that piece of music was it lived on my phone on my answering machines. It's 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 been a part of my life forever. And to know that it was Valerie's favorite song and that Wolf cared enough about it to put it on the set list. And then he and then seeing him fail and then seeing him fucking succeed. It's a beautiful moment and, and it's a beautiful piece of music, and here it is. time I saw them and and they were perfect and uh, you know Jill loved it too which made me very happy because you didn't have to go through the well you you really should have seen them when I didn't need that I didn't need to say that that night because you didn't need to see them when you saw them then and they fucking planted a flag and kicked everybody's fucking ass they were the mighty Van Halen. I do what I can to use words to tell you how I feel. And I'm usually pretty good at it. I'm not at a loss for words. But man, I put doing this show off. I, I didn't know what I was going to do, what I was going to say. And I was scared because I, I didn't I didn't want to mess it up. He deserved better. I, I I didn't want to somehow not do him justice because I owe him so much. And I owe him a tribute worthy of who he was and what he brought to my life. turns out I needed him along for the ride to really drive the message home and show you. I couldn't just tell you. 
I couldn't just tell you, oh, he was great. I had to show you. I had to let him show you. I had to include him. I, I, everybody who's known me has had to deal with my love for him in some way or another. They had to indulge me, whether it's, you know, my friends going to concerts or me defending Dave when they don't think he's good or uh, me standing by, you know, when I, when I stood by Eddie, even when things had gone terribly awry, when his teeth were falling out and it looked like he was going to succumb to substance abuse. I stood, I stood there and waited. I waited because I, I, and, and look, everything gets back to fathers, but it felt like abandoning him would be like losing another part of my childhood to alcohol or drugs or whatever you want to call it. And so everyone I know has dealt with my love for him somehow, some way. I I made a slam cut of Eddie's riffs for my wedding. That's true. My wife and I, when, when we were first introduced to everyone at the reception, when they said Mr. and Mrs. Michael Schmidt, I came into Eddie Van Halen's music. Uh, a tape, a tape that I made back then. Imagine going cassette to cassette and trying to cut it and make it sound good. I'm sure it sounded like fucking trash, but I had to. I I cut just like just like this show. I brought riffs. I had to have riffs. I I needed him there, and uh, and and it was Eddie's riffs, and it culminated in "Ode to Joy" by Beethoven. Because. They were the same genius on top of genius. Like I said, he he was a rock star without being a rock star. He just wanted to make music. He had it inside him and he had to get it out. And it's what he did. He changed music forever. Think about that. Not just fucking rock, not just guitar. This man changed music. That That's like saying you changed the weather. He changed lives. He changed my life. In 1998, it was a Sunday morning in March. And uh, I was in my apartment and in, in this, the apartment I'm in right now. And I somehow had a dust up with Karen. Just, I don't know, like she didn't get the papers or I wanted the papers. So I'm sure I was being a fucking shit heel. Uh, but I, I said, all right, I'll go get him. I stormed out of my house to go get the newspapers. And, uh, there's a newsstand by my house that I liked to go to because it had all sorts of magazines and stuff. Now I could have gone to seven 11 and gotten the papers and been home in a minute, but I was like, oh, I better, I'm going to go take a lap at the fucking newsstand. I could have stopped any number of gas stations. I could have stopped at any number of grocery stores, but I picked that newsstand on that day. And I went and I parked and I went inside and I was looking and I was looking at magazines, probably porn. Uh, It was March. I might have been looking at fantasy baseball magazines. Regardless, I was the only one in there besides the counter person. And uh, out of the corner of my eye, I saw another customer come in and I looked over. And it was Eddie Van Halen. And I froze. You know, I had been this close to him before. Uh, in 1988, I think, uh, there was a band called private life and he had produced their, their first album. 
and they were playing at a place called Trankus the Pub in Malibu. And uh, it was billed as a night with private life and special guests, wink, wink. And they charged, you couldn't just buy tickets. You had to buy a dinner for 50 bucks and then a ticket to the show for 40. So you're spending almost a hundred bucks just to be in this little pub because the rumor was Eddie was going to show up and play with these guys. And we went, I went, I wasn't going to fucking miss it. I would have paid double. Uh, Unfortunately, Eddie did show up. He just didn't play. He and Valerie were in the loft. And at one point, the whole room is chanting his name and he leans over and he gave us the salute like with a drink and he took a sip and then he went back upstairs and never hit the stage. Private life was fine. They weren't $90 fine. But the way I look at it, I paid 10 bucks to see private life and 80 to see Eddie with his arms around Valerie in the loft. But I didn't get to talk to him. And I was this close to him and it wasn't, it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to get away from me. I was not going to let it slip away. And, uh, he talked to the guy at the counter and the guy was holding some stuff for him. So he put it on the counter and, and then Eddie walked over to grab something off a shelf. And, uh, I, I'm normally good with stars. I don't bother them. I am in Los Angeles. I see them all the time and working as a bouncer. You know, we, we would get people in constantly at the house of blues or wherever I worked, you know, Don Henley and, and Bridget Fonda and Dwight Yoakam and Shaquille O'Neal, all these people, I saw them and I just, you know, I just smiled or nodded politely or I'd talk if they wanted to talk. This was different. This was, this was history for me. This was a lifetime. And so I approached him and, and I said, Mr. Van Halen. And he looked up and smiled that, that smile. Uh, and this is right when the Sharon album had come out, the Sharon album. And I had listened to it with my brother over the phone and, and, uh, I said, listen, I, I don't bother people, but, but I have to, to talk to you. And I have to tell you how much you mean to me. And uh, he smiled and he said, oh, that's that's amazing. Thank you. And he goes, you know, I you, you you mean a lot to me, too. And I go, well, no, I go, I'm, I'm you you. You've been so important to my life. I told him uh, I, I'm, I'm sure I told him about. Um, getting the first album or the, you know, Van Halen too. I, I told him borrowing it. I, I told him that I couldn't play guitar, but I knew every single note he had ever played. I told him he had made my life better. And I got to tell him how important he was and what he meant to me. And he thanked me and he talked to me and he asked my name and he asked where I was from. And I told him I was from Chicago and that I'd seen him there and, uh, I told him I'd seen him in, uh, you know, in Reno all over. And we had a conversation. It wasn't a hit and run. He didn't want to get rid of me. He wanted to talk to me and not in a, an admir- admiration society way. He wanted to hear from me. He wanted, he, it made me think of these stories. You know, when I think about it and reflect on it now, where he on the road would go to his hotel room and just vodka and Coke and a recorder because he wasn't a rock star. He was a musician and I was telling him what his music meant to me. And I think that was important to him. At least I like to think it, 
it was. And he broke out a copy of Billboard and I, I told him that I had listened to the new album over the phone with my brother. I had played every song. I told him Year to the Day was, was a masterpiece and, and I loved New World and I loved Josephina and, and I wasn't lying. I meant those things. And he thanked me profusely. And then he complained that uh, KLOS, the local rock station, wouldn't play the album because the way the, the that the music industry had changed he he couldn't get on radio he opened billboard and he showed me the modern rock charts and they were number one on the modern rock chart he goes look at us he goes right there without you is number one on the modern rock chart and the album and i can't get on the radio in my hometown they won't play me and i can't figure out why and and at in that moment he was he was sharing with me a real concern he was talking to me he was having a conversation with me he wasn't just getting platitudes lobbed at him and basking in the glow. And he asked me what I thought he should do. I, I of course, had no idea. But I, I commiserated and told him that that was ridiculous and that the album was so good that eventually they would have to play it. And I, I think he liked that and smiled. And we talked for 20 minutes. And a genuine conversation. It wasn't just me jerking him off the whole fucking time. And and, and he he had to go. And I, I asked him if I could give him a hug. And he said, of course. And I hugged him and I lifted him off the fucking ground. Like I wanted to carry him away forever and keep him. And he laughed, thought it was funny. He was a small guy compared to me, certainly. And and the fact that he stood and talked to me, 6'2", 450 pounds at the time, probably looked like a maniac on a Sunday morning. I'm incredibly grateful I had that opportunity. How often do you get to tell people how important they are to you? Especially someone who, who's in the fucking stratosphere that you think you'll never be able to see or touch. And he paid and he walked out and I, I stood frozen and I, I, I choked up because I realized the magnitude of being able to tell someone who was a hero to me just what they meant to me and have them be human and decent and ask my name and want to know who I was and be grateful for the fact that I... I appreciated what their life's work had brought to the world. You learn about people over time, the way they react in situations, the way they, and if they're thrust into the spotlight and how they act and, and you learn a lot about a life in death in all the tributes that have come forward about him in, in, in addition to people fucking going crazy for his other fucking worldly talent, there's been another sentiment that has come through in every single tribute that I have seen from from anyone on Twitter or Instagram or newspaper articles or music reviewers or anyone. And that it's he was a great guy who was loved by all 
he met. People like Tony Iommi, people like Steve Stevens, people, they, they, they called him a sweetheart. He's an unassuming giant. You hear about genius and how genius is tortured. We've seen geniuses act like fuck-ups and ruin their own lives and everybody around them. You hear about genius being tortured and alienating people and ending up alone and, and genius punishing people for not understanding what it means to be different or special. But not Eddie. He had hard times and he certainly had his substance abuse issues, but he overcame them. And, and since he got sober, he has spent the last eight years or nine years of his life the happiest he's ever been. Playing alongside his brother and his son, and he could not have asked for anything more. His ex-wife, Valerie, still loved him. She posted a, a, an amazing note. His son, Wolf, loved him so much. He spent his lifetime inseparable from his best friend from birth, his older brother. In this fucking awful wood chipper of a world where everyone is always one statement, one fuck up, one tweet away from being milkshake ducked into oblivion where you're going to find out their terrible secrets and you wind up going, man, why did I ever invest five seconds in caring about or liking that person? Edward Van Halen was beloved by anyone and everyone he ever met. And do you know... Do you know how happy that makes me? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. I should just take joy from his work and and but but for me that's not enough. It's so weird. I I don't know why. I want him to be as happy as he made me. I I he's given me so much that I want I want him to have just the same amount of happiness, if not more. He needs the world. I want him to have experienced the same joy in his life that I experienced by dropping a needle or pushing a play uh, on his life's work. And to hear that everyone loved him as much as I did, that's the best. It's the goddamn best. When Valerie got pregnant with Wolf, Eddie used to play a piece of music on her stomach. He'd put the guitar, he'd sit behind her, and he'd put the, the guitar on her, and he'd play this music. And it was a song for Wolf, and... uh he wound up putting it on for unlawful carnal knowledge and it's called 316 which is wolf's birth date and, and this is an interesting thing if you played your cassette from beginning on side one and then flipped it to side two when 316 ended the counter on your cassette player was 316 so I'm gonna uh, play what was probably Eddie's most beloved certainly his most special piece of music to take us out of here and, and I and I wish I never had to do this show 
He lived on my walls as a kid. He lives on my fridge (laughs) right now. He lives in my head. He lives in my ears and he lives in my heart. And he always will. I love you, Eddie.